Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of March 9, 2023, including Starfield has been delayed again, but we finally have a release date, and we also have dates for a new dedicated Starfield showcase, as well as Microsoft's annual June Games Showcase. Microsoft claims that they can get Call of Duty Warzone and Modern Warfare 2 running on Nintendo Switch. Sony is getting petty in the courtroom, and more. And on this day in Xbox history, in the year 2006, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter came out. Yep, that was 17 years ago. So, uh, I never played this one. I I think, up until the more recent Ghost Recon games, I don't know, I think, uh, actually, I don't know which ones I played. I I think the more recent Ghost Recon games might actually be the only ones I've ever played. I almost mistook, I, I, I almost confused it for Rainbow Six. Because uh, I was about to bring up Rainbow Six Vegas, and I was like, "Wait a minute, that's not Ghost Recon at all." This is the weird one. I I know Ghost Recon is a little more tactical, but I, I, I the gameplay and the screenshots and everything of this game back in the day always just kind of reminded me of like all the military beige, deserty military shooters of of the day. So I looked at this and I was just like, "I don't know, that's." Call of Duty or whatever else is on the market right now, but I know people. Uh, this this is like one of those like kind of silent hits where it did well. People liked it a lot. People remember it fondly, and it's just kind of like silently in the background, always admired and loved, but not you know not as loved as some of the Tom Clancy games of the era, like uh, of course like Splinter Cell or something like that. But nonetheless, shout out to Advanced Warfighter, seventeen years old today, and we move on. We're looking for uh, I don't know if uh, if only. If only Tom Clancy were alive today to see Ghost Recon become some free-to-play battle royale Fortnite clone, he'd be man. He just he would just be absolutely so just so. I'm sure he'd be just so over the moon, just so like this is what I always wanted for my for my IP. Anyway, guys, welcome to Xbox On episode 197. We're really close to that episode 200 mark. You know, we got lucky this week. It's one of those weeks where. You know, last night I'm writing the notes for the podcast and gathering all the news. I'm like, shoot, we may only have like one news story and like three tiny news stories and like four comments. But luckily, uh, it kind of worked out because today was one of those days as I was at work getting ready, you know, to wrap it up, go home, get get my podcast done. We were having one of those days where, yes, like that steady trickle of actual important news started to come in. I'm like, there we go. There's my there's my show. It's coming together. So. We do have 
actually a bunch of news to talk about today. Some some really big stories as well as just tons of updates on the Activision deal. But it's one of those weeks where the Activision stuff we have to talk about is like actually exciting and interesting and not like kind of that one person said in a legal proceeding that if one uh, party agrees to build a contract, the other one may be therefore within uh, held accountable. It's not that kind of thing. We're going to talk about some fun stuff. Sony's getting a little petty kicking and screaming, which is uh, a little surprising because it seemed like they had it seemed like they had the, like a, a potential win on their hands for a minute there, but now it looks like the ball's kind of back in Microsoft's court. It's been, it's been interesting watching this kind of back and forth with Microsoft and Sony become such a, a nail-biter because it really is like on any given week, any man's game or so. Or so it seems as a as a outsider looking in kind of deal but that's not the point we're, we're not there yet guys let's let's take it slow and start out this week with our opening segment of the notable games releasing this week and we've had tons and tons of big games coming out so far this week it's been a very busy start of 2023 and this this week thankfully has been a little bit of a breather so if you're inundated with hogwarts legacy and atomic heart and Wolong Fallen Dynasty and Destiny 2 Lightfall and all this stuff that's just been coming left and right hitting you in the face. This week's a little bit of a breather. There's only one real big notable release uh, that I, I think Xbox gamers need to stop what they're doing and pay attention to, perhaps. And that would, uh, it's not even a proper game. It's just, it's an update. It's an expansion. It's a battle pass. It's a, let's call it what it is. It's a battle pass. Halo Infinite Season 3 is now out. Echoes Within. It's available as of yesterday uh, from when I'm recording this. Um, so, yeah, it's a little embarrassing to say, but hey, they got here. It only took a year, but we got Season 3. Uh, the largest multiplayer update for the game yet. Season 3 Echoes Within offers a 100-tier battle pass, new maps, new a new mode, um, and for the first time, a new weapon and equipment item into the game. So, tons of new content. I have not jumped into this yet. I probably won't do so until the weekend. I gotta be honest... I am glad Season 3 is here. Um, I did wrap up my Season 2 Battle Pass, so I've I've unlocked and done everything in Halo Infinite up to this point that I've needed to do. So I'm ready for Season 3, but i got to be honest, I'm just, as of late, I'm just not in a Halo mood, and um, I'm not really feeling this, although I'm, I'm hoping this weekend when I sit down, force myself to give this a try, that it sucks me back in and kind of excites me about Halo again, just because... I, I, I want to see, you know, what, what's the new content look like. Apparently, it does have some surprisingly interesting kind of story stuff going on with this uh, with this multiplayer season. So I'm interested to see that more than anything, but also try out this new gun, see these new maps. So Halo Infinite, it's it's just so sad the way it went, you know. A year ago, we were like, Halo Infinite, let's fucking go. And, this, and you know, now we're like... Wow, just we're just now getting season three, like forty-eight years later. But nonetheless, some Halo is better than no Halo, I suppose, and I'm sure many are already enjoying season three. So let me know if you've uh, already dabbled. What you think of season three? I will be sure to talk about this next week after I've spent some time with the new content, the new update. So looking forward to that, guys. Next, we got to talk about our Activision updates. So as a reminder, this is it's reached a point with the Activision deal where it's become so obnoxious. How many? how many updates there are every week. Some weeks it matters, some weeks it doesn't. Uh, and it's just it's just constantly been in our faces for the past year plus at this point. So the point of this segment is to kind of be like, here are the updates that I'm obligated to share with you. We'll just read them off in a few sentences and move on with our lives because everyone's tired of the Activision deal story, right? But this week is one of those weeks where I have like 
eight news stories pertaining to the Activision deal we have to cover, and they range from like mildly amusing to like pretty damn important. And so this topic of the Activision acquisition is going to come up probably about three different times on the podcast this week, which I apologize for, but you'll see why we're doing it that way uh, once we kind of get through the news because I've segmented it to where we're kind of gonna we're we're, we're kind of gonna touch on the lighter stuff now and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes and the actual news the stuff i think you'll be more interested to hear about but um just just had to break it up for format's sake i'm I'm obsessed with the format of the podcast it's very important to me that everything kind of fits into a proper place so i may be a little bit ocd might be annoying for you to listen to but just understand it's an organizational thing i don't mean to drive you crazy with it but with that said guys we got three, four littler, up, smaller updates, littler <laughs> updates uh, before we get into the bigger updates. So let's just kind of knock these out. The first one actually is like a little more than mildly amusing. The only reason I put it here was because it is more related to mobile than it is to like console gaming, but it is pretty interesting nonetheless. So I put it here. Um, it is arguable that this part could have gone in the main news segment, but uh, let's, let's fucking stop talking. Let's just get into it. From VGC, where we source basically everything, Microsoft has said that they expect Call of Duty Mobile, the popular mobile game, to be phased out over time in favor of Warzone Mobile. Developed by Tencent's Timmy Studios, I always assume it's pronounced Timmy, but if it's not, oh well, I'm going to call it Timmy anyway because I don't give a shit. Uh, The free-to-play Call of Duty Mobile game was released in October of 2019 and has topped 650 million downloads as of May of 2022, according to the publisher Activision. The company said that the uh, Call of Duty Mobile has enjoyed a record year in 2021, with consumer spending well above a billion dollars following a surge in downloads coinciding with the game's release in China, its most important market. But according to Microsoft, Activision's long-term plans to replace the game, uh, or the long-term plan is to replace the game with Warzone Mobile, which is scheduled for release later this year. Officially revealed last September, Warzone Mobile is being co-developed by Activision Shanghai, Binox, Digital Legends, and Solid State Studios. Quote, COD Mobile was developed uh, and is owned by Timmy Studios, a subsidiary of Tencent. Microsoft said in a newly published response to the UK Competition Regulation Investigation Board, whatever, blah, in in regards to the proposed Activision deal. COD Mobile is expected to be phased out over time outside of China with the launch of Warzone Mobile elsewhere, it added. Uh, This is, of course... This this statement from Microsoft was published in you know in relation to the whole CMA uh, potentially wanting Microsoft to divest certain assets of Activision in order to make the deal more more likely for them to approve it more more digestible for them to approve it these regulatory bodies uh, Microsoft was using this this information to make the case that like hey we kind of need mobile because a huge part of why we want to buy Activision is because we want that insight as to these massively popular mobile games, how they're made, how they're run, how they're operated, how they how they kind of interact with their communities and understand the markets to know what kind of trends are worth chasing and basically the structure of this whole market. It's something that's pretty foreign to Microsoft. They want in on the on the pie and that's a large portion of why they want to buy Activision is to understand and study and have access to games like COD Mobile. So that's why they were talking about this. I don't really care about that part. I'm more interested in talking about COD Mobile being straight up phased out in favor for Warzone Mobile. Now, for those who don't know, and, you know, listen, I, I talk ad nauseum about fuck Tencent, all this stuff, but also how it's really impossible in this world to be like, hey, I'm going to be a good guy and not support communist China by buying Call of Duty Mobile or whatever, as you tweet from your iPhone made with Chinese slave labor, you know? So it's it's one of those things where it's like, listen, I've played COD Mobile a lot. 
Um, I'm currently not playing it, but I have played it on and off a lot since it came out. It is a great game. It's very fun. I, I, I generally don't like mobile games, but COD Mobile is very, very good for what it is. Um, and I've had a lot. Of, I've had a good time with it. But clearly, you can tell when you play a game is very much a Chinese developed game, and is very much for that that market, that part of the world. Um, and so I get. I guess what they're saying here is that was always kind of their project. But now that we have our more Western teams or our more in-house teams working on this Warzone mobile, we expect this to be the kind of the, the the mobile project product that we can like market to and ship to the rest of the world, especially our Western market, which of course Activision relies so heavily on. That's their bread and butter. And then and then they talk about how COD Mobile can continue to live on as kind of this Chinese exclusive product, which isn't unusual. We see this kind of stuff in the past. In fact, Halo even had one of these back in the day. Uh, well, not for China, but for Russia, there was a Halo. PC only uh, online game just for the Russian market. It was a build off of Halo Three. You might remember that from back in the day. Um, that that kind of stuff happens. There are certain markets like China, like Russia, where really the predominant place to play for for gamers in this in these nations is the PC or mobile devices. And um, we've seen it commonly time and time again. Crossfire. Call of Duty, Halo, these different products where they try to create specialized versions of their games just for these markets. And so it seems like that's kind of always what COD Mobile was supposed to be in that now they're going to kind of let it live on and be that way. It sounds, uh, based on what, what they're saying, is that basically Call of Duty Mobile, you know, I'm sure it's been a hit in the West, doesn't seem to be as important of a product or, or as big of a game for them as, um, say, or sorry, as, as it has been for like the Chinese market. And so that's why they're trying to take something that's like as popular as Warzone and adapt it for mobile to try and capture the Western audience more and more. That that could be conjecture, but I just want to note that because I think it's pretty interesting to see that Microsoft's keyed in on this. They're talking about it. It matters to them. Activision's openly kind of talking about these things. Warzone Mobile is not out yet, but it is something that has been in the works for a while. We've been hearing about it for a while, so no doubt that'll probably be a big thing, although it is kind of interesting to get this news at a time where we're just learning that Apex Legends Mobile has been completely canned, even though it's already been released. They're now going to remove it from the App Store and take it down, um, so it's interesting to just see the conflicting ways that these uh, Activision EA are kind of handling their big Battle Royale games, but nonetheless, I thought that was an interesting little story to start out with. Now I'll kind of blast through the three lesser, in, uh, interesting, less interesting little Activision updates, and then we'll save the rest of the Activision talk for later in the news where we got Sony getting all salty, Microsoft saying, yes, we can make Call of Duty work on Switch, and so we'll get to that in a little while. But real quick, blasting through them all. According to uh, Bloomberg, Microsoft has told the CMA this week that it is willing to pay a third-party agency to oversee its compliance with any agreed behavior remedy, behavioral remedies. Activision Blizzard reportedly met with uh, separately with the CMA on Wednesday of last week to discuss the case and hear uh, the hearing with the deal's primary opponent, Sony, is scheduled for next week. And now it's important to note, Microsoft has successfully subpoenaed Sony, so Sony is going to have to provide basically internal notes and documents and stuff to kind of make their claims because basically what that means is Microsoft suspects Sony is has certain things to say and certain data that would help them make their case and withholding that is is kind of giving Sony an unfair advantage so they're basically legally calling for Sony to present certain amounts of certain types of information and data that the courts have um, required Sony to share and so this is kind of the the start of us being able to get some uh, some look into kind of where how Sony's operating and thinking about this acquisition this deal so we can try to get some more honest um, and accurate kind of 
perspective from Sony and to take that in conjunction with the things that Microsoft has been saying. So, so yeah, this is Microsoft basically saying like, Hey, we, we are, we are so open and honest and, uh, about how we're going to ethically handle all this by continuing to support PlayStation, even though they're a competitor and putting call of duty on PlayStation, even supporting Nintendo, et cetera, et cetera. And they're saying, Hey, we'll even get a third party agency unrelated to Microsoft to kind of oversee these compliances and make sure that we are behaving, uh, ethically and appropriately across all platforms despite you know our hopeful ownership of Activision in the future so they're saying that at the same time we're, we're starting to get closer to this time where we're going to start getting some juicy details from Sony uh, due to this subpoena um, also to note the EU and the CMA are due to rule on the on, on this Activision deal on April 25th and 26th respectively so the EU on the 25th and the CMA on the 26th so we are just a little over a month away I guess a month and a half away or so from really getting Honestly, I mean, that's that's a make it or break it moment. So by the end of April, we'll have a substantial uh, amount of progress made in this deal. And we'll basically be down, assuming both of these entities approve the deal, we'll basically be looking at a situation where all we got to do is get the FTC here in the uh, U.S. to approve the deal and it's done. Um, okay, next little quick one. The European Commission is reportedly unlikely to demand an asset sale as part of its approval process for Microsoft's Activision deal, which we just kind of touched on a little bit with the COD Mobile stuff where they were kind of saying you need to divest, sell off parts of the business in order to make this deal a little more agreeable for us because Activision is just so big and we give you so much of a competitive advantage. But now it seems like they are not actually uh, requiring so much because Microsoft is complying and suggesting all these structural kind of remedies and responses um, in order to the 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 worries and the fears of these regulatory bodies. And then lastly, Microsoft has reportedly told the UK's antitrust regulator that it has significantly overcounted the potential impact of Call of Duty's potential exclusivity to Xbox platforms. Uh, Rima Alili, the corporate VP of Microsoft's competition law group, told Axios that the Xbox firm commissioned a YouGov survey in January, finding that just 3% of PlayStation players would switch to Xbox would it make the series exclusive, the Call of Duty series exclusive to that platform, completing an active, uh, acquisition of Activision. Based on this, um, Ali, 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 I don't know why I can't say that, claimed that Call of Duty was, quote, too small to hurt Sony's ability to compete and too small to make withholdings, uh, withholding the game a strategy profitable for Xbox. Uh, she also reiterated that Xbox's repeated line, that, which they've said, it makes no sense for Xbox to withhold Call of Duty from PlayStation. So a different kind of statistical reiteration of that same point we've heard time and time again, and we'll move right on because it's kind of exhausting to hear at this point. So that is where we are with all of that. There are rumors suggesting that the EU is basically ready to sign off on this and, and approve the deal. So they've made great progress. If rumors are to be believed, we have a pretty clear path to victory or a seemingly clear path to victory. Um, it, you know, if you if you see Microsoft buying Activision as a vic as a victory um, in terms of getting this deal across these European boards, and then Sony has been successfully subpoenaed. So we are going to get some juicy, juicy information from Sony. I think which we're already starting to see a little bit of which we'll get into in the news. Um, so lots of good stuff to look forward to as we get closer to like kind of an apex uh, part of this ongoing deal. So that's the small Activision updates. We'll get back into the juicier, more interesting stuff when we get into the main news. But with that said, guys, let's talk about our stories of model amusement. This is generally our opening news segment before we kind of get into the what we've been playing, what we've been eating sort of deal. So not talking about Activision for a second, taking a breather. Let's talk about Capcom. Um, they have actually confirmed uh, a 25-minute digital event happening 
next th- or sorry 26 minute event that will take place on March 9th at 2:30 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, so it's 5:30 Eastern time. Uh, so yeah, a 20 minute pre-show, a 26 minute digital event. So this will be taking place the day this podcast goes live. So it'll be pretty dated news the second I uh, hit hit publish on this on this episode. However, we can talk about it next week. So according to the publisher, the event will feature news on Resident Evil 4, Exo Primal, Monster Hunter Rise, Mega Man Battle Network, Legacy Collection, and Ghost Trick Phantom Detective. Uh, they said, quote, this is a digital event where we will be sharing updates on new information about upcoming games. And then also notable Capcom recently claimed that it is on course to sell more games in, in, a fis- in sorry in this fiscal year than any in the company's history so expect maybe some game announcements and just some just some big game news so looking forward to that so we'll talk about that next week after uh, this podcast goes live now next up more interestingly for me because it's stupid and that's what the show does best is talk about stupid stuff from VGC images have emerged claiming a show to show a licensed Xbox series S's and Sam Series S toaster. According to the images online, the Series S toaster will cost about 60 euro, which I don't know, what is that, like $13 US? I'm just kidding. I think euros are way more valuable, so probably more like 75. I don't know. And uh, so $60, 60 euro Xbox Series S looking toaster and will feature three toasting modes. The kitchen appliance sports a white shell and a large circular vent in the style of Microsoft's $300 console. According to the French site Xbox Squad, the licensed appliance will release this year and it's planning to sell the device itself with pre-orders open now on the website. So uh, I guess this isn't going to be an officially licensed product or I I don't really know, but the thing looks pretty cool. Honestly, it's funny because it it, it looks kind of like a radio if you look at it from the front side. Otherwise, it does look like a Series S. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I listen. I love this. I love, I love the idea of my entire home just being Xbox appliances. I want a Series X refrigerator, a Series S toaster. Fuck, I want a, I want an Xbox Connect AI girlfriend that 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 only turns on half the time I ask it to. I mean, th- this is this is my life, dude. Automate me, make me an Xbox guy through and through. I want a bed in the shape of an original Xbox because that thing was wide like a California king. I want a freaking um, VCR player that looks like an Xbox One because the Xbox One looks like a VCR player and so on and so forth. So let's keep it going. The appliances, the decorations, the Xbox theming and branding everywhere. I, I want to be gaudy about it. I want to be loud about it. Let's keep it going. What do you guys think about an Xbox Series S toaster? I say, let the people eat their toast. The old saying, you know? All right. And lastly, we don't have too many of these this week. So lastly, from VGC, Take-Two is reportedly laid... <laughs> sad one. Take-Two is reportedly laid off staff at several divisions, including its indie publishing label, Private Division. Private Division, you may know as the... Uh, indie publishing arm owned by Take-Two that published uh, The Outer Worlds, which was the last game created by now Xbox-owned studio um, Obsidian before the Microsoft purchased them and fully owned them. The Rockstar and 2K Games owner announced last month that it was planning some layoffs as part of a $50 million cost reduction program, as they like to call it, which basically just means we're cheap assholes. And according to Bloomberg's reporting uh, from Mr. Jason Schreier, the cuts have... Uh, today hit staff or this week hit staff at private division and other take two business units private division is the publisher of titles including Kerbal space program the outer world ollie ollie world and has also unannounced projects in development from moon studios the guys that make ori and the blind blind forest uh evening star in yellow brick games in a statement take two uh, spokesperson alan lewis said that the cuts will be 
will better align with our organization into a long uh, and sorry into our long-term priorities and has claimed that the impact on the dev team will be minimal so um yeah fuck you take two you got that granted out of five money you don't gotta lay nobody off you bad you suck also Fuck you. All right, guys, that's it for all of our small news stories. Of course, we hope everyone who's affected by layoffs lands on their feet and uh, ends up far better off than they were when they were with Private Division and Take-Two. But that is it for the small news, the, the opener news. Not super spicy and exciting at, at the top, but the reason why we plow through it is because we got some juicy main news this week, and I want to get to that. So let's uh, let's do just that but we don't want to be too hasty we don't want to run into it head first you always got to put your helmet on make sure safety first that sort of thing uh, so we don't go straight to the news we talk about the games we've been playing and boy oh boy am I excited to talk to you about the games I've been playing but before we can do even that before you put the helmet on you got to put socks and underwear on you know what I'm saying don't want to be going out naked because yeah safety first and all but no one wants to be seeing what you got downstairs because it ain't much and uh, so that's why before I tell you about what I've been playing I gotta tell you about what I've been eating Guys, I don't know what I've been eating. It's nothing special. Honestly, I had salmon today. It was uh, entirely healthy and boring. But that's not the point because the real point is this past Monday, for the first time in a while, I streamed over on twitch.tv slash lightningmixtreme. Please follow me there. Hang out with us sometimes on Monday, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. Anyway, I was feeling it. I was missing it. So we did a stream, and it was really awesome. It was a really fun time. Uh, for a couple hours on Monday night, we streamed, and uh, a bunch of people showed up, and we had a fun time chitting, chatting, talking about girlfriends, cars, Nuggets, Destiny, Call of Duty, shipping Hershey's Kisses to people who live in Texas. It was great fun through and through. But here's the here's the lowdown. We ended up on the topic of fast food nuggets. And Mr. Mavsman asked, how would we rank the best nuggets? And to this point, I thought, you know what? I can't imagine or I can't I can't make sense of how this conversation, this specific conversation has not come up on the podcast as of yet. So to remedy that, we're going to talk about it right now, guys. We got to we we got to we got to rank these top three nuggets of all, of the fast food kingdom. Now I know we got listeners over in Europe, in the UK, and Australia. We even got hell. We even got listeners in freaking Mexico, in Germany, and maybe Bangladesh. I'm just making that one up. I don't know, but we got listeners all over the place. So my apologies if you don't have access to these restaurants where you live. In fact, the only one I'm the only one I'm confident you probably don't have access to is Chick Fil A. But we, we got to go through t- with the, the biggest fast food chains out there and rank who has the best nuggets. So we, we got a top three here. And Mavsman and I were on the same page with this one. So I'm curious to see what you guys are. Where we said, if we're doing top three fast food nuggets, maybe a controversial pick. But the number one is going to go to the Wendy's Spicy Nugs. And you got to understand that I don't say that lightly. I do not like Wendy's. I'm not a Wendy's man. Okay. But credit where credit's due their chicken nuggets are V good and the spicy nuggets at Wendy's are extra V good. Now, another thing you can do there is they used to have a creamy sriracha sauce. They recently got rid of it, but now they have a ghost pepper sauce, which is kind of similar. It's, it's a creamy ranch based spicy sauce. That's awesome. And you should probably eat it. And, uh, you pair that sauce with their nuggets, whether you get the regular nuggets or the spicy nuggets, I think it's by far the best, best flavor, a little bit of juiciness in the middle. And it has a crispy, a crispiness with a nice breading and flavor on the outside that I think most fast food restaurants really fail to nail. Um, for the number two spot, we put the McDonald's chicken nugget because McDonald's nuggets are much like McDonald's fries, McDonald's burgers, where like it or not, there's nothing that tastes like McDonald's. 
You can you can tell me McDonald's is the worst food you've ever had. That's fine. But you can't tell me you've been to another place that tastes like McDonald's. And I feel like I've been to many places where I'm like, huh, this burger is kind of like Burger King. It reminds me of that. Or this sandwich kind of reminds me of Wendy's. Or this sandwich kind of reminds me of a knockoff Chick-fil-A. The thing about McDonald's is no sandwich reminds me of a of a of McDonald's burger. No no burger comes close to it. No French fry tastes like a McDonald's French fry. Whether you like it or not, the flavor profile is so unique, and so that's why I think the McDonald's nugget ends up in the number two spot. Because even though it's not the best nugget, it absolutely is unequivocally a unique offering only available at McDonald's. Not only that, but shout out to the texture of a McDonald's nugget because. The crunch, the crispy crunch on the outside, I always say crunch, I'm trying to say crispiness. The crispiness of the outside of a McDonald's McNugget is almost always perfect. For fast food, that kind of crispiness, very, very, very impressive. So McDonald's, you get the number two spot. It's not technically the best nugget ever. In fact, for the longest time in my life, I hated McDonald's nuggets. But once I grew a, a taste for them, I really did did begin to appreciate their uniqueness as well as their crispiness. So shout out to McDonald's. You get the number two slot. And then at the number three slot, I think we agreed on one that I'm still a little torn about. I, I wouldn't be opposed to replacing my number three if I found a good enough pick, but... I think for now, we put Chick-fil-A in the number three spot for Nuggets. Now, the strong suit Chick-fil-A is, of course, always with Chick-fil-A. You feel like you get a higher, more quote-unquote premium quality of food at Chick-fil-A compared to other fast foods. But not only that, but Chick-fil-A also just serves a different nugget. It's not as boxy or tombstone looking uh, of a nugget as, you know, the way most fast food nuggets look. The Chick-fil-A nuggets look like actual nuggets of chicken. It looks like someone actually took a dead chicken and cut it up into nugget pieces and bread and fried it and everything. Not only that, but the pickle brine on a Chick-fil-A chicken, whether it's in a strip form, nugget form, or filet form, is always a, a welcomed, um, is always a welcomed uh, little kick to the, the flavor profile. But I think the most important thing is not only are Chick-fil-A nuggets fairly decent on their own, great flavor and all that, Chick-fil-A sauce, dude. Chick-fil-A sauce is so good. So having something like a nugget, which is a food that demands to be dunked, um, is so is is so extra enjoyable at Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A sauce offerings are so strong. So it makes the nuggets extra enjoyable. Now, where Chick-fil-A fails to uh, impress is, of course, the fact that their nuggets are completely soft. There is no crunchy, crispy anythingness happening on a Chick-fil-A uh, bite of chicken ever, pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty confident saying that. So that is a big detractor. But when you compare it to what the other guys have, Burger King, their nuggets are so hit or miss. Ain't much else out there. What am I thinking of? You know, Popeyes, they don't even do nuggets because they're so good. They only do boned-in chicken and strips. Uh, and, you know, I'm just kind of blinking. I'm not going to say something as as regional and hard to find as like Jack in the Box or something like that because most people don't have access to it. So when I'm thinking of the major, major chains, probably going to go Wendy's at the number one spot, McDonald's the number two spot, Chick-fil-A the number three spot for nuggets. Now, Taco Bell, if you're listening, and I know you are, if you want to create your own chicken nugget and enter in the race, I'm sure you can remove, at the very least, I'm sure you can beat out Chick-fil-A for that number three spot, but I'd love to see you try. I'd love to see you make it all the way to the number one spot. Taco Bell, we're counting on you, okay? So that's it for what I've been hypothetically talking about, food-related, but not necessarily eating. I'm curious to know what you guys think about ranking the best fast food nuggets. Let me know your thoughts in the comments, and until then, as I patiently and eagerly await your comments... Let's talk about the games I've been playing this week. Okay, so last week I was talking about Hi-Fi Rush a little bit. I finished up uh, Atomic Heart, and I was like, I got to get through Hi-Fi Rush. It's a really good game. 
I'm really enjoying it. I want to see it through the end. It's not a very long game. Let me let me kind of check that off the list so I can go back to enjoying my games as a service that have been milking me of time. Um, I didn't get back to Hi-Fi Rush at all. I played one more mission, and that, that was it. Uh, so I will get back to this, but this week I ended up putting it on hold because stupid shit we'll get into in a minute. Um, next thing I want to mention is obviously Halo Infinite Season 3. As I mentioned earlier in the show, I'll get back to that. I'll, I'll get into that this weekend. So I, I, I meant to get into that maybe a little bit yesterday and just ended up not doing it. But here are the two games I have been playing, and so I wanted to note these ones. Number one, and this is the big one, Destiny 2 Lightfall. I told myself I was going to beat Hi-Fi Rush and then jump into Lightfall, and I didn't do it because my nephew was like, hey, I'll play with you. And I was like, whoa, someone wants to play Destiny with me? And so I, I, I caved, and I played. I started playing Lightfall sooner than I really expected to. But I'm glad I did because you know what? Destiny is that game that I, whenever a new expansion comes out, I buy it, I play it, I really enjoy the hell out of it, and then sometimes I'll stick around for a month or two and play a bunch of Crucible and Strike Missions and work on my gear and just try to really, like, hammer out all the new shit that's happening in Destiny, play a, play a season or two of multiplayer, and then sometimes a, an expansion will come out, I'll play through the expansion, and then I'm like, cool, done. That was a nice 10 to 15 hours of, of Destiny, I'm out until next year when the next expansion comes out. Um, that's kind of how last year was for me with, with Witch Queen. It was a really awesome expansion. I really loved the campaign on Witch Queen, but I, it was just the timing of it all. I just wasn't really in a huge Destiny mood when it happened, and so I kind of hung it up after the campaign. So it's been a little while since I've really gone gung-ho with, with Destiny, and long overdue if I if, if I if you ask me um, because Destiny really is one of, in my opinion, one of the great modern games. It's kind of weird because... Destiny itself, in my opinion, is such a special, special, excellent game. Yes, it's had its ups and downs. There have been low moments for this franchise, no doubt. Even its very launch back in 2014 was a little bit of a low point for it. But I just personally think between the simplistic, addictive nature, how, how good the game feels to play, uh, just with that being among the most compelling of any first-person shooter in the history of the genre, paired with the incredible art direction and art style of this game, just how beautiful it looks. Like, does Destiny have great graphics? Yeah, but that's not even what I'm getting at. Destiny just has insane vision and art direction and creative design. It's so pretty to look at. And um, I don't know, it's, every time I play Destiny, it's just one of those things where I'm like, Oh yeah, I kind of I kind of adore the hell out of this game. Um, I know it's controversial. I know a lot of Halo fanboys out there are just like, I wish there was an alternate timeline where three four three never existed and and Bungie worked on Halo forever and ever and ever. Um, I I'm not one of those people. I actually think I actually think the best time for me in the and I say this, as someone who grew up with Halo, as someone who loves the original Halo trilogy, loves Bungie Halo, played Halo Combat Evolved and Halo 2 when they were new games. Um, I'm definitely a, a product of the Halo 3 era just due to my age. Oh my god, are you kidding me? Halo 3 came out when I was in middle school. That shit's my fucking existence. Like half of my identity is that 2007 to 2009 or 10 kind of time frame of like fucking the old Modern Warfare, Black Ops, Halo 3, Halo Reach. Like that is that is me. That will forever I'll, that will be me as an old man when I'm 70 bitching and moaning about how those were the great games of all time. But even even being a person like that, I have to acknowledge and say, I think the the reality we got where Bungie split off of Microsoft and went on to create Destiny, and where Halo then got 
handed to this newly formed 343, and then we got Halos 4 and 5. I know it's controversial. I know people have a love-hate relationship with Destiny, and I know people love to trash Halos 4 and 5, but I'm so happy we got the, the reality we got because... I love Destiny. I love Destiny 2. I love Halo 4. I adore Halo 5. Like to me like that that 2012 to like 2015-16 maybe 2012 to 2017 you want to say between like Halo 4 coming out and Destiny 2 coming out. All those games like dude that for me I know people were busy on PS4 saying Xbox One sucks and all that. I was I was eating good. I was enjoying the hell out of everything that 343 and Bungie were doing. I was having such a great time. So, I don't know. To me, it's like Destiny's one of those things where it's comfort food. I adore it. I think it's insanely influential. I mean, there's no denying the industry has been so greatly influenced by Destiny. Um, but at the same time, we have to acknowledge the fact that even though Destiny itself is a pretty excellent game, um, <laughs> there's this part of Destiny that unfortunately influenced the industry so heavily that I think gaming, in a sense, is worse off because of Destiny's existence. Does that make sense? Because Destiny is a great game, and everything it is is just fine in its own isolated world, right? But because of the success of Destiny and what it did, every game since has been like, we can be a live service game too, and oh, we can have a cursor menu where you're using a fucking analog stick to move around the screen like it's a like it's a fucking computer mouse, and all the things that Destiny did to gaming, the loot grind, the freaking season passes, the all the shit that Destiny popularized and brought us to this point where you can't even get a Batman game without them trying to make it a, a faux games games as a service type experience and listen i like a lot of games as a service type games i've played a lot of them that i've, I've been like you know what? people are hard on this game it's actually a pretty good game like outriders um from 2021 outriders was so good i loved outriders that game's a little not a little pretty damn underrated if you ask me but i don't know overall with destiny it's just this kind of crazy thing where i'm like when you think about what happened to Halo because Bungie was no longer on Halo, and when you think about what happened to the games industry due to the impact and the success of Destiny, it's it's possible, especially if you're not a fan of Destiny, for you to be someone who looks at Bungie and resents the fuck out of their existence because you're like, look what you did to this industry, look what you did to Halo, F you, Bungie, I'm just so fed up with you, all for what, for Destiny? Are you kidding me? So I, I, I think it's just so funny to think about. I, I'm not one of those people again because I freaking love Destiny, but I just can't help but think about that every now and then. Just what a massive influence this franchise has had in gaming and how uh, it just it just all started with Bungie saying, uh, F you, Microsoft. We're going to we, we want to be independent. We don't want to be with you anymore. But anyway, I, I'm not even talking about the game. I'm just I'm just opining about and reminiscing and just thinking tangentially for no reason about the history of destiny so the lightfall expansion um what can i say about it well i'm only about halfway through the campaign content right now but i'm really digging it so far i actually think and i see a lot of people who are really down on the lightfall expansion but i think i'm kind of in the opposite situation this is kind of a a bit of a avengers uh avengers age of ultron situation where uh, everyone's hating on it and i'm like i kind of dig it i think it's really good but everyone really prefers the one before it i'm like i think i might like this one better i like lightfall a lot because the story is super, super bare bones and simplistic. And while I generally would prefer better storytelling, especially because when Destiny does good storytelling, they do it very well. The problem is Destiny does a bad job of conveying their storytelling properly. It's like always, it's always like 
so far off in like the, oh, you didn't participate in that one real-time in-game event in Season 17 where the Traveler took off its panty and bra and flashed itself to all the Guardians for a brief moment uh, from the top of the tower. Oh, you weren't there for that? It was at 11.48 p.m. on January 17, 2019. Oh, well, that's why you don't understand what's happening in the main plot of the latest expansion. You weren't there for it. It's like Destiny has a lot of that kind of shit where I'm just like, if you live and breathe Destiny and it's like your entire existence is like, I come home from work and I play Destiny. On the weekends, I play Destiny. When I'm with my friends, we're playing Destiny. If you're one of those people, that's cool. That's really cool because just every moment, every living, waking moment of this game is an ever-evolving story and that's really, really excellent. But for people like me and I assume most people who play Destiny, we just don't have the time and energy to commit that much of ourselves to this game. So I sometimes get overwhelmed and confused by Destiny because I'm like, I I, I know the names, I understand who's like uh, Zavathun, the 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 Taken, like the I understand these names. It's like I, I know who these things are. I I kind of know what these things are, but like I just. I just don't understand half the fucking stuff they're saying. And then you have to go on YouTube and watch some some Destiny channel, like My Name is Bife or something like that, where they're just like, here's how to make sense of Destiny. And you're like, oh, oh, that's cool. Oh, I didn't realize that's what they were talking about. Damn, Destiny's awesome. And um, I, I, it's fine. Like, I've long accepted that's just kind of how Destiny is. Um, that's going to be my relationship with Destiny. But the thing I kind of like about Lightfall is I feel like I feel like I can just come back to Destiny after a year of not playing and just kind of be in the loop. I kind of feel like I understand what's going on. And now I understand there's a lot of criticism about like this main item, uh, the veil, this main like uh, MacGuffin kind of part of the game where everyone's complaining. It's like they don't show it. They don't explain what it is. They just keep talking about it. Listen, this is part one of a two-part expansion. The next part of the expansion is supposed to be like the end of it all. You know, this is like part one of two. And so I understand they they want to have build the suspense and keep you curious and everything. And they'll they'll reveal it at some point. So to me, this actually doesn't bother me at all, really. Um, and, and I'm just kind of enjoying the simplistic nature of the game being like, hey, uh, we're, we're doing this thing, point A to point B. And to me, I, I just kind of dig that because I'm like, oh, okay, it's like the, I don't have to stress this hard over what's going on in the game. Um, not only that, but the big selling point of the of this expansion is just this new what this new planet Neptune. It's freaking 1980s Miami Vice meets sci-fi future of the city with an underwater Atlantis theme. And if you can pick up on the reference, there's this this city is oozing with new Mombasa from Halo 3 ODST. I know that's a lot of word vomit. It means kind of nothing to some people, but if you played this game, think about it. If you play Destiny 2 Lightfall, think about it. 1980s, Miami Vice, Halo ODST, New Mombasa, and the Lost City of Atlantis. Morph these three things together, and you have this new this new planet, Neptune, in Destiny. And it's fucking awesome. It's so cool. It adds so much new, rich, variety flair to Destiny that the game did not already have anything like. And it's it's so excellent. It's just more of that incredible art design, art direction that Destiny just is masterful in, flexed and used creatively in a new way that we've never seen before. And it adds so much freshness, so much fresh environment, so much more fresh... Uh, so so much of a fresh world to explore in this expansion, and I'm so in love with it. I absolutely adore this new locale in uh, Destiny 2 Lightfall so, so much. In addition to that, there's the new subclass. I forget the name of it already, but 
All you need to know is giant green energy claw arm things that slash and make things go boom. But more importantly, grappling hook. Destiny 2 now has a grappling hook. Uh, I can confirm it is incredible. It's super awesome. It's so fun to use. However, not as fun to use as the Halo Infinite grappling hook. I got to say, I think Halo Infinite still has the best grappling hook in any video game. Uh, but oh my god, it's just it's so fun. The new subclass is a is a is a total joy. Um, the new environment is so fun to explore. Not crazy about these new characters. The new characters just look a little like uh, they just don't look like Destiny characters. They don't look like in universe appropriate, which is really like my thing. Um, but or like my gripe with it, I guess. But um, I don't care, man. Other than that. Like, I, I'm, I'm enjoying the kind of brain-dead, simplistic story. I'm enjoying the hell out of this new environment. Halfway through the campaign, I had to stop and go do some gr Crucible to grind up, get my light level a little higher so I can do more of the campaign with ease. But I'm really enjoying Lightfall so far. I think this is a pretty excellent expansion. As someone who just kind of comes into Destiny once a year, plays 10 to 20 hours, and then kind of bounces until the next expansion, I got to say, I'm really loving Lightfall a whole lot. And... uh yeah, I don't regret picking this up as instantaneous as I did, and I look forward to wrapping up the campaign this weekend for sure. Yeah, it's a good, good, good shit. Now, the other game I've been playing, and we won't talk about this really because what what is there to say? I've been playing a lot. I don't know why. I got home on Saturday or on Sunday morning after being gone all day Saturday, and uh, I sat down. I was like, I'm going to play some Hi-Fi Rush, and then proceeded to play, I shit you not, six hours straight of Modern Warfare 2. I don't know why. I don't know what I was thinking. I just, there's some, I don't know what it is, man. I just, I'm so sucked back into Call of Duty. Ever since Black Ops Cold War came out, I've just been so sucked back into Call of Duty. I feel like I, I, back in the old days when I when I just used to play the hell out of like the OG Modern Warfare 2 and World at War and Black Ops. It's, it's kind of like back in those days. I'm just so into Modern Warfare 2 and I don't know why, but I'm trying to enjoy it while also being insanely self-aware and kind of like critical of myself for spending so much of my free time playing this game when there's so many better things I could be doing with my time. But I completed the season two event, got the crossbow, got the new SMG, really loving it, loving the new uh, game modes, play, dabbled in the new Warzone map, just having a great freaking time with Modern Warfare 2. And I I, again, I don't know why, and I, I want to get back to it because I want to try its ranked mode, and I'm, I'm starting to watch. I've never given a shit about competitive esports or anything, but you know, I've tried to watch some Halo esports here and there, but for some reason, I've just been on this kick now where I want to watch Call of Duty's esports league, which I've never paid attention to. I don't know anything about, so now all of a sudden, I'm learning about that, and I'm enjoying that, and I'm like, man, I want to play, play ranked mode in Modern Warfare 2, so now I'm going to try to get into that a little bit. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I swear to God, I'm losing my gamer credibility, guys. And I'm not playing Elden Ring. I'm playing I'm playing Modern Warfare, which makes me a fake gamer. It makes me it makes me a basic bitch. I understand this much, but can't help it. I'm really loving Modern Warfare 2. So that's what I've been playing a shit ton of in addition to Destiny 2 Lightfall. So that's it for what I've been playing, guys. And with that said, let's take a quick break here. And let's jump into the news. All right, you guys, so let's jump into the big news. As I said at the top of the show, we're going to start with all this Activision stuff. We got a bunch of it. Actually, scratch that. We're going to pull off the Activision stuff for a moment. We're actually going to talk about Starfield because that's the big thing. So we're going to start We're going to start off with Starfield, talk about um, Xbox Showcase this summer, and then we'll move into all the Activision and things like that. So starting off... Let's go over to VGC, our favorite site, and read the following. Starfield's release date has been delayed 
into the second half of 2023. In an announcement video published on Wednesday, Bethesda confirmed that the game, which was initially planned for release the first half of the year, will now arrive on September 6, 2023. The publisher also confirmed that Starfield that a Starfield Direct live stream will take place on Sunday, June 11th. Bethesda owner Microsoft also confirmed that Xbox will host its Xbox Game Showcase on Sunday, June 11th. Prior to the Starfield show, this would place it on the weekend between Summer Game Fest and E3 2023, making it officially not part of E3, as rumors suggested. Quote, from myself and everybody here at Bethesda, we are so excited to finally tell you that Starfield is coming out this year, Todd Howard said as part of the announcement video. We have poured ourselves into the this, this sorry, we have poured ourselves into this game, and even I'm surprised how much we can pour. It is large. Howard also referenced the Starfield Direct, which is scheduled to take place in June during what is traditionally thought of E3 week. But, quote, he says, but also this June, we're going to bring you into the studio and give you a deep dive into the game uh, during our Starfield Direct. There's so much that we still have to show you. Alrighty. So, big shakeup here with the line. We, we, we thought that Starfield was going to have its Direct and then we're going to get our Xbox Showcase. But it's quite literally the opposite in the most immediate sense of, of the matter where we're going to have the Xbox showcase and then immediately afterwards the Bethesda showcase for Starfield will take place. So I don't know. I'm not crestfallen over this. I see a lot of people who are sad about this. I think this is awesome news. I, I don't know how anyone could see this as anything other than good news. Now I know there were rumors earlier this year that um, Starfield might shadow drop that Starfield might actually somehow beat out Redfall, even though we knew it was supposed to come out after Redfall. Ideally, realistically, the time frame for this game, I would have been like a June release date. But here's the thing is, as much as I wish it were a June release date, because I, I sorely think June, July, and August get shafted so freaking hard when it comes to game releases, um, September is entirely acceptable and realistic for it because the fact of the matter is, dude, the first half of this year is so jam-packed. You're really going to sit here and tell me that between freaking Hogwarts Legacy, Destiny, Atomic Heart, Redfall, Minecraft Legends, etc., 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 all these games coming out, you're really going to tell me that, like, oh, man, there's just nothing to play. Starfield got delayed till September. Listen, I don't want to make excuses for Bethesda and Microsoft. I understand delays are disappointing. If you're really looking forward to Starfield, if it's your game of the year, if it's your most anticipated title and you've been just dying to play this game for years, I get it, man. A delay is disappointing. I was disappointed with Halo Infinite got a, a delay the 500 times it got delayed. I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't particularly excited to have to wait longer, but you know, your understanding of the matter, you want the game to come out when it's good and ready and not prematurely. So you have to accept it, take it on the chin. It's not exciting news necessarily, but it is what it is. Personally with Starfield in this case, I guess as someone who's I'm moderately excited to play Starfield, but I'm not, I'm not clamoring for Starfield. I don't think this is, this is by no means my most anticipated game and my, my life isn't, uh, isn't, I'm not living or dying by whether or not Starfield's available to play. So I guess for someone like me, it's easy to see this and be like, great, the first half of this year is so jam-packed with shit, I'll take all the time I can get between Starfield between now and Starfield. So I think September still, especially this early in September, still allows for it to be kind of released in this window where it can just breathe and be left alone, especially on Xbox. And it gives, it gives Game Pass a huge... It gives Xbox Game Pass this huge, like, boom of, like, 
kick off the summer with Redfall and end the summer with Starfield, where at the beginning and the end you get two big things. I, I, I still think ideally Starfield coming out in like June, July would be even better. But how often do games really come out in June and July? So I feel like this just kind of works as, as best as it can. And it just kind of is what it is. Now, listen up, like we all know COVID obviously had a huge impact on game development. And so a little bit of a delay here and there for Starfield, totally understandable. But also like, I don't mean to excuse make. It's just like games that are this big and this intricate and this open-ended and stuff. I just, I just feel like it's one of those things where like Bethesda can't really know what the games, you know, like they're like, Oh, okay. It's January. And we're telling you it'll be out in November, you know, like it'll be out 11, 11, 21, whatever. Like, I understand that's a nice idea, but like, they can't really know, you know? And then, and then in 2022, they're like, okay, well it'll be out the first half of 2021 or 2023 rather. All that tells us is that they're really, really hoping and expecting it to be able to launch sometime the first half of the year, but they still can't even commit to something firm because who knows? You could reach a point where it's like, okay, we're in the polishing stages and ah, fuck, this whole part of the map is completely fucked. If you go over there, you turn into polygon pixel dust and and the whole, the whole fucking game blows up and deletes your save and emails nudes of your dog to all your ex-girlfriends. Like, it's a total mess. We can't release the game in this state. Just gotta delay it. It's one of those things where, like, I, I don't know, man. I don't understand how game development works. I'm not gonna pre- pretend to, but I do feel like I have enough exposure to how turbulent game development is just from following games news for so long that you you kind of understand it's 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 not easy, man. A lot of shit goes sideways when you least expect it and you cannot account for everything. And with games being as big and as intricate as they are today, it just gets even harder. There's even more unknowns to solve for. There's even more unexpected setbacks that will arise. And I don't know, like if I if I'm purely speaking on behalf of Bethesda. I, I don't feel bad at all that the game is delayed. And I totally understand it. And I'm like, take your time, do what you got to do. You know, if we're talking about Xbox and maybe Bethesda as a, a publishing arm, like a Zenimax type deal. Yeah, maybe it's like, well, you, you really shouldn't have announced this game for a, a, a November 2021 release date. That was wishful thinking you were misleading people. Yeah, that's probably true. And that's a whole separate conversation we can have about how games are way too prematurely announced and dated when they don't need to be and, and things like that. Um, which I think is a valid conversation. I know we've had it on the show before, and I think there's still plenty of opportunity to discuss that because it's a huge problem that has not gone away. But I, again, I just, I can't find myself being disappointed overall this news because I want Starfield to come out in tip top shape. I want it to be excellent. I think they really don't want to have a cyberpunk 2077 on their hands. I think following fallout 76 and the kind of turmoil that game went through in its earlier days, they do not ever want that to happen with one of their one of their games. Period, no exception. So they they want to get this right. There is so much writing on Starfield. The fact that the last big Bethesda game, Fallout seventy six, had a turbulent launch, plus the last big Xbox game had a turbulent launch and post release content roadmap with Halo, plus. Game Pass really needs a mega hit. Yes, it's had some nice surprises with Hi-Fi Rush. It's had some great third-party support with Wolong and Atomic Heart, etc., etc., etc. Game Pass needs a fuck you, everyone pay attention to me, whoa, they got what now type of game. And it's been a while since they've had one. In fact, it's absolutely been since Halo Infinite since they've had one of these games. And it won't happen again until Starfield comes out. Even though Redfall is going to be a big one, it's a great get. It's awesome addition to Game Pass. Nothing's going to be a bombshell game the way Starfield is. And so 
also Starfield is going to be this first game coming from the Bethesda merger where it's like, yo, this is this is a Bethesda game that's going to be like so heavily associated and tied and 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 um just just indelibly part of the whole Microsoft Xbox ecosystem that between all these factors added up, there was a lot of pressure on Starfield. It's got to perform. If this game is anything shy of excellent, it's going to be a bomb. And I, I don't say that from a personal perspective. I believe it will be a shitty game if it's not excellent. I, I mean that from the perspective of everyone is going to be looking for every reason to shit on this game. They took it away from PlayStation. It's PlayStation fans are going to have a fucking field. Not PlayStation fans. Fans of PlayStation are normal humans. PlayStation fanboys, toxic PlayStation fanboys, are going to have a fucking field day trying to look for ways to pick this game apart because it's an Xbox game only now. And like I said, the whole Game Pass needs a win. Halo Infinite had its had its issues. Uh, Fallout seventy six had its issues, et cetera, et cetera. There's just there's no way to sugarcoat it. Like they have to. I, I think between Microsoft and all the games have had to delay and cancel and push back and show, but then not be able to show again, and just all the shit happening. Starfield is. They just don't have any other choice. So. That is what it is. I don't think there's much else to say about it. We'll get the Starfield Direct. It seems like what, what's going to happen is it'll be June 11th, which is that's a Sunday. It's always a Sunday for Xbox. They always do Sundays. And so, yeah, you'll get your Xbox Direct probably around 12 o'clock Eastern time. And then around 1, 1 30, you'll get immediately following it your Bethesda thing. Now, the question is, what does this Xbox showcase look like? We know that Phil Spencer's teased some smaller updates, kind of like the 007 remake kind of style thing between now and then. But this game show face, showcase this summer, uh, this is going to be the big heavy hitter. Halo is basically dead. You just move on. Starfield, we already know it's got its own separate event. It's coming out in, 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 uh, in September. Uh, Redfall will have been out by the time this event happens. It will be well past a month uh, after its release. So we're not talking about these three games anymore. Where are we? Oh, so Minecraft has been out. Hi-Fi Rush has been out. We're done with all that. Where are we? Well, the only thing Xbox has to talk about that's coming out like imminently or soon is Forza. And you can't have a whole game showcase on Forza. And we know this is about like the roadmap for Xbox. So... I'm expecting, like, we, bro, we gotta see something, man. Like, you know, like all these many, many devs that that work for Xbox now, all these many, many teams under the Xbox brand and family. We gotta see some fucking games, man. We gotta see it. Fable, State of Decay three. Like, where are these? Where are these games? Perfect Dark, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We can go on and on. I want to see what Compulsion's working on, man. I'm really excited for their project. I really have a lot of hope and faith that that team can be something special. Like, let's see it. Hellblade 2. Why was that announced four years ago if we're never, if we're never going to talk about it again? Like, what, what's going on, man? Like, this is the event. This is where we have a lot riding on it. I, I think I think Starfield, I think you just, just, just black out from Starfield at this point. Who cares, man? We know it's coming September 6th. A concrete release date, if anything, is kind of assuring because it just tells us, like... We're good for it now, man. Now we just now we just chill out. It's gonna come when it comes, and then we focus on the other stuff. You know, uh, I just that game showcase, man. I'm so curious. By the time we get there, mostly everything we've been talking about for the past year with Xbox is spoken for. It's out. It's imminently out. It's dead. Whatever the case may be, like we're done with that. So what what are we gonna see here? Contraband? What the fuck is contraband? Are we ever talking about that? This Indiana Jones game? What's the deal with that? Like, there's so many games where I'm just like, just, 
<laughs> just show us the game. Tell us about the game, man. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing, dude. June 11th, mark your fucking calendar. That is Xbox D-Day, man. It is do or die. We got, we're got. we either going to see the future that's going to hype us for Xbox and give us the assurance that the brand desperately needs right now, or we're going to have a massive, massive letdown of a situation. And the fact that they were willing to kick off the year by being like, Forza, don't worry about that. We're talking about that here. Minecraft, Redfall, Starfield with its own separate event, don't worry about these games. Here's a little surprise. Hi-Fi Rush. Okay, now, now Tango Gameworks can fuck off, and you don't have to wonder where they're at for a little while. But all the other factors, all the people we've been waiting on, tapping our feet, waiting to see what, where's the gameplay, where's the release date, now all eyes are on them. So it's good to have these dates. It, it feels it feels like things are in motion, like things are actually happening now, that we're kind of, uh, that we, we have these concrete dates and this, this updated information. But man, it just, it just makes me, I don't want to say nervous, I'm not, I'm not fucking nervous for Xbox, I'm just... I'm like, I'm antsy. I'm like, I'm eager to see what's happening. You know, I'm tired. I'm tired of talking about Xbox with the whole like, well, what is third party? You know, the third party lineup have the promises right now and all these things. Like the only, the only like game pass game we're still waiting on that hasn't really hit at this point is like stalker two. Um, so I just, man, the slate is clean. Like I'm ready. I'm ready to see it fill back up with some new games. And, uh, that's June 11th. So Really exciting news. I guess not much really to go into other than to say Xbox seems to clearly be disting itself from E3 while also trying to capitalize on that, the atmosphere, the climate of that time period where you get E3 and Summer Game Fest. So they still want to be kind of a part of that time period, but also not tied to an event necessarily. Now they didn't, I, I, the only other thing I'm, I'm curious about as we move on and, and, and talk about the next story I do wonder, are they going to do this in person at the Xbox, at the, not Xbox, called the Microsoft Theater in LA? Are they going to, are they going to go back to that? Because I kind of miss it. I, I like Xbox's showmanship of their in-person events, to be quite honest. When it came to E3, I, I actually think Microsoft was always the best at just having good pacing, good showmanship, just kind of a fun aesthetic. I, I, I like that. So I wonder if we're going to get that back or if we're going to have a digital showcase on June 11th. It'll be interesting to see. My guess is we're probably getting some kind of digital event, uh, which is fine. It's probably for the better. Um, but, man, it'd be, it'd be kind of cool to have that live feeling again. I do miss that a little bit. But anyway, so now we move on to the many, many big juicy updates regarding the Activision deal. We're talking about Nintendo. We're talking about PlayStation. And we're talking about uh, just some other Call of Duty things. So, first of all, let's start off with the Call of Duty running on Switch. This was the first part that we got earlier this week where, according to VGC, Microsoft believes that Call of Duty Warzone and series other entries could be optimized to run natively on Nintendo Switch. Now, this follows months of speculation following Xbox talking about getting Call of Duty on Switch, where people have said, oh, well, this will have to be cloud-streamed, how would they do this, blah, 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 scale-back version, can't be the same as the Xbox PlayStation version, what, what are they going to do? Well, here's them saying, we think we can do it natively. Last month, Microsoft signed the uh, binding 10-year legal agreement to bring COD to Nintendo platforms, including full-feature content parity with Xbox, should the Activision deal go through. This led many to speculate how the company could implement titles on the aging Switch hardware, especially considering that, to date, no Call of Duty game has been released for it. It's been suggested that cloud streaming could be a solution. However, however, there's also rumors of a Switch successor, a Switch 2, if you will, uh, that is rumored to be maybe happening next year. 
However, in a newly published response to UK regulators' remedies notice, Microsoft claims that it's confident that it'll be able to make games like Modern Warfare 2 run natively on the platform. Microsoft claims that because Warzone supports PC hardware with GPU cards that were released as far back as 2015, there's no reason it couldn't optimize the 200-player Battle Royale game to work on Switch. Quote, the Activision developer team has a long history of optimizing game performance for available hardware capabilities, uh, Microsoft wrote. They go on to claim that the game engine that powers Warzone is mature and has been optimized to run on a wide range of hardware, ranging from Xbox One, uh, which was released in, uh, ranging from Xbox One consoles released in 2013 up to the Xbox Series X. It could be altered to run on the Nintendo Switch, which was released in 2017. However, this is a clear error since the original Xbox One was released in 2013, not 2015. Oh, it looks like Microsoft misquoted and said 2015. Oops, that is a huge mess up. How does Microsoft forget the release date of their own product? Oof, I thought I was correcting VGC by saying 2013. Uh, anyway, Microsoft then cites Apex Legends, Doom Eternal, Fortnite, and Crisis 3 as similar titles that have been successfully ported to Switch using standard techniques. They wrote... The, the parties are confident that the additional to Warzone, in addition to Warzone, COD buy-to-play titles such as Modern Warfare 2 can be optimized to run on Switch in a timely manner using standard techniques that have been used on games like Apex, Doom, Fortnite, etc. At launch, Apex Legends uh, on Switch port was dogged for frame rate issues, image quality, draw limits, draw distance limits, uh, which made the game severely compromised compared to its PC and console versions. However, Doom Eternal, which was ported by Panic Button, only runs at 30 FPS during the gameplay uh, and 20 FPS during cutscenes. It's also a linear single FP, uh, single player FPS title compared to a massive Warzone 200 player. Uh, battle royale type enormous map game fortnite another battle royale game similar to warzone although is significantly as a smaller map and runs at 30 fps on switch warzone 2 which was released on ps4 ps4 pro xbox one xbox one x struggles to maintain 60 fps on those consoles according to testing from digital foundry making the likelihood of achieving similar results on switch very slim now here's my thing is can we just get Warzone running at 30 FPS on Switch and that would be okay? I know Call of Duty, its signature trademark for basically as long as it's been around has always been buttery smooth 60 FPS. However, does that have to be the case on Switch? Can we do 30 FPS? I mean, does does the integrity and the optimization performance and, and, and all that of a game really fucking matter if you're trying to play it on the Nintendo Switch? Like, you gotta ask yourself that. Does it fucking matter? Like... If you're the kind of person who's going to use your Switch for anything other than Nintendo first-party games, do you really deserve to have the full-fledged experience, you got to ask yourself? And so, I, I got to be honest, man. I, I am a little bit dubious of this claim. I do feel like Microsoft is putting the cart before the horse just a little bit here. Because, yeah, of course, they're a software company. They're a hardware company. They know their shit, blah, blah, blah. And, and yes, the, the guys at Activision, the many teams at Activision have clearly shown time and time again throughout history that they are among the absolute best when it comes to optimization and performance. Because I know people like to rag on Call of Duty. I know people like to act like, oh man, it launched with this with this little glitch, or this little bug, or this imperfection or balancing issue. It's like, the fact that Call of Duty comes out every 12 months like clockwork and is mostly a pretty polished, fully-fledged product and isn't completely busted is a absolute miracle. It shows how insanely well production um how, how important how insanely well uh how, how how great the people at activision have been over the years at timeline and project management and how great the developers are at these various call of duty teams at optimization and performance and all these things because 
every Call of Duty runs at 60 FPS. Every Call of Duty looks ranging from pretty solid to really great. And every Call of Duty is just a, a masterclass in being a first-person shooter. You don't. You can be tired of the formula. You can say Call of Duty's old. It's uninspired. It's just a rehash. But there's no denying that every Call of Duty, whether you love it or hate it, is a pretty content-complete, full-fledged, full-functioning, well-polished, relatively strong first-person shooter. And that's why this series is so reliably good is because they they nail that every time. Whether or not you like the campaign or like the maps or like the meta or the skill-based matchmaking or you think it's just kind of tired to have Call of Duty anymore, none of that part's relevant because they nail it every fucking year. So it's like I do feel like between the talent at Microsoft and the talent at these various Activision-owned studios, it's like, yeah, I mean, if anyone's going to pull off something like a 150-player Battle Royale on Switch, it's going to be these guys. But at the same time, I don't know, man. I'm a little dubious of this because Call of Duty is just a an asset-intense game, massive download size, just massive player base, big maps, just crazy, crazy stuff. And I, I haven't tried to play any of the modern Call of Duties on anything less than an Xbox Series S, so I don't know. I can't speak to how poorly it runs on a 2013 Xbox One. But yeah, man, I just I I, I am a little dubious of this as well. I, and that's the other thing is it's like I don't think Infinity War, Toys for Bob, Raven, uh, Van, uh, uh, Sledgehammer, Treyarch. I don't think these would be the guys. I don't think these would be the guys bringing Call of Duty to Switch. I feel like if Microsoft successfully acquires Activision, it's gonna be someone else who does it. They're gonna get like a panic button or or some kind of port team or team known for doing these these kinds of jobs to handle this because I just don't see. I really don't see how they're going to take the already limited assets that Activision has to develop Call of Duty games and stretch them even thinner to try and get this thing, the, the massive undertaking it would be to get this thing running properly on Switch. So I'm a little dubious of it. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I, I know a lot of people like to argue back and forth on this. I'm just not tech savvy enough to really know. But I mean, if you cut it to 30 FPS, you destroy the draw distance, you just destroy the assets and textures and graphical fidelity and lighting and everything and just make it as bare bones as humanly possible. I don't know. You probably could get this thing running on Switch, but at the same time, they're touting and promising content parity. And I feel like 60 FPS is part of that content because people really rely and expect their Call of Duty to run at 60 FPS. It is like a basic assumed feature of the entire franchise. So I just kind of wonder if they can even try and make that compromise like other games have had to do to, to get their games running on Switch. But at the same time, what choice do they have? You know, what choice do they have? When they're talking about content parity, I think they're talking about modes, maps, features of the game like that. I don't think they're talking about performance because they just can't they can't guarantee that, you know. I just I don't see it. Uh I, I'm incredibly curious to see how they pull this off. Listen, man, I will absolutely download Warzone on my Nintendo Switch if they can pull this off, just out of pure morbid curiosity, because I would love to see what an absolute train wreck Warzone would be running on the nintendo potato but that is a it's it's a bold claim i think it's a little bit of a snake oil kind of sales pitch even if microsoft doesn't mean for it to sound so but um i don't know they they, they might be over promising on that one but we'll have to wait and see uh next up this is god this was my favorite so we got a double header let's let's read these two back to back because the first one is what microsoft is promising and then two what what sony's com- complaining about slash claiming um, and then we'll get into the last one, which I think is possibly the most interesting. 
So Microsoft from VGC, Microsoft's confirmed that they have offered to Sony the option to put Call of Duty games on PlayStation Plus subscription service on day one as part of a bid to appease regulators uh, in concerns over the acquisition of Activision. However, Sony Entertainment has alleged has alleged the offer could be reliant on unsustainable licensing costs, which would force them to raise prices. So uh, the offer details Microsoft's newly published response to UK, blah, 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 CMA. So that's where we got the information from, blah, blah, blah. So let me get this straight. So Microsoft has gone from, we will promise you content parity day one release, all the same features, blah, 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 blah. If we own Call of Duty, you will be on PlayStation and you'll get the same product, same everything. Okay. They turned that down. Then they said, dude, we'll even put Call of Duty on your PlayStation plus subscription reoccurring service thing that's not as good as Game Pass. And PlayStation still said, no, no thanks. And now they're saying, we will put Call of Duty on your service day one. I feel like for Microsoft to be able to make that concession, it says only one of two things. It either says they are so desperate to get this deal over the finish line that they are willing to make insane concessions that will just destroy any hope of this game ever being truly profitable. Or it says... Microsoft is so confident that Sony is going to turn this down. It's going to make them look like the good guys, get them through the approval process, and then they want it to make good on this promise to where they're willing to risk putting it out there and even playing with fire by offering such a deal. Can you imagine a world where Xbox, Activision, Microsoft, whatever, Microsoft owns Activision, and your next Call of Duty game comes out, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 17, whatever, and the day it comes out, these are your options. You can buy it on Steam, buy it on Xbox, buy it on PlayStation, buy it on Switch. It's the same game across all platforms, $70. Or you can get it through Game Pass, PlayStation Plus, or Game Pass for PC. Day one, full content, everything. Subscribe to the service for $15 a month, and you will get Call of Duty day one. You do not have to pay for it. You think about how expensive it is to make a Call of Duty game and how well these games sell, and you're willing to do that? Put it as a included subscription day one product on the most popular platform Call of Duty exists on. That is so freaking ballsy. You got to think, like I said, again, one of two things. Microsoft either thinks Microsoft is either insanely desperate that they're willing to sacrifice any financial prosperity from this franchise in order to acquire Activision or they are so confident Sony's still going to be begrudgingly saying, no, fuck you, Microsoft, that they can offer this deal, know they'll get rejected, and then use that to look good in front of these regulatory bodies and say, we're trying so hard to play nice with these guys that just won't let us. And then they won't have to actually make good on this promise, but they can leverage the Sony said no to help get across the finish line with these regulatory bodies. That's got it's, it's got to be one of the two. Because this does not make sense. This makes zero sense. This is like this is like I wanted to lose thirty pounds and and and, and avoid uh, at being at risk for diabetes so, and heart disease. So I ate nothing but Big Macs breakfast, lunch, and dinner for three months straight. Like that's that's the kind of logic we're dealing with here, where they're saying <laughs> we'll put Call of Duty on PlayStation Plus on day one of release. That's insane. That's everything you need to know. So I, I, I have nothing else to say to that aspect except it is literally one of those two things I said and nothing more. That's all there is. 
and we'll just have to wait and see. But I assume Sony will turn it down and try to fight and kick and scream. And we know that because, well, look at this next story, which is that Sony has suggested Microsoft could release a degraded version of Call of Duty for PlayStation on consoles should the Xbox deal be struck with Activision. Issuing the provisional findings on the proposed deal last month, UK Regulatory Competition Markets Authority, CMA, raised concerns about Microsoft should they choose to apply a range of whatever we talked about. So these... These concerns include that withholding games or content from Sony, offering fewer features on rival consoles, and degrading the quality of Activision titles on PlayStation. So, <laughs> it suggests simply, uh, in its simplest way, to ensure that there isn't a significant le- a significant lessons. Let me restart. It suggests that the simplest way to ensure there isn't a significant lessening of competition would be to block the deal entirely or implement a partial divestiture of Activision Blizzard that would see parts of the business like COD sold off and removed from the equation. So that is absolutely insane. That is why Microsoft said that they're willing to get a third-party entity involved to ensure that it is fair and adequate on all platforms that there's no favoritism being played because that would be so stupid. There'd be no purpose in this deal if they just didn't get Call of Duty. That would be so, so dumb. And of course, the CMA is willing to offer something like that and say, well, why don't you just not do Call of Duty? You just don't buy Call of Duty, but you get everything else. Because Microsoft has been selling this whole deal as like, we want to get into mobile. We want to study the mobile market. We're trying to, we, we want Activision Blizzard King. We need King. We need mobile. And they're like, okay, then then tell then spin off Call of Duty and get the rest of Activision without it. And they're like, uh, no fucking thanks. We want Call of Duty because that's what this is really about. Let's not kid ourselves. So we have Sony here saying that it is possible that they believe Microsoft would intentionally put a shittier version of Call of Duty on PlayStation. They'd say, yeah, it's 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 got the same content, it's parody complete. There's no extra content only on Xbox, whatever. But the game's kind of sluggish and broken and fucked and doesn't run right on PlayStation. But it looks and runs a lot better on Xbox just to make (laughs) players move from PlayStation to Xbox. I'm sorry, but that is the most bullshit, scratch, like absolute grasping for straws kind of argument I've ever heard. I, I Textbook definition of a strawman right there. Because Minecraft. Because... Because Fallout 76, ESO Online, all the games that Microsoft now owns because of Bethesda that they still allow to support and, 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 and work with on PlayStation, etc., etc. Microsoft has multiple games, and I think obviously the biggest without a doubt is Minecraft, that are huge hits on PlayStation. And guess what? No one's ever played Minecraft or Minecraft Dungeons or anything on PlayStation and thought, wow, they really gimped this fucking experience to convince kids to get an Xbox instead of a PlayStation. No chance in hell. They don't do that. They have proof that they literally do not do that and that they promote PlayStation just as much as they do Xbox with these games. So the fact that they're going to try and pull out this, this this bullshit argument that, oh, well, they might make the game look and run a little worse on PlayStation to, so that Digital Foundry and people like that will be like, oh, the game looks excellent on Xbox, it does. But on PlayStation, it's got fucking fidelity problems, it does. They're not fucking doing that. That's absolute dog shit bullshit, nonsensical bullshit. You know? It's bullshit. So I, I just, I mean, dude, come, come, come on. Like the freaking... 
I, I understand. Sony's desperately trying to make sure this deal doesn't go through. I actually kind of respect the the game they've played a little bit because I think against all odds, PlayStation's actually done quite a really good job of raising a stink and trying to tear this deal apart. I think it's quite impressive, actually, how well they've done. And I don't want to give Sony all the credit because while they have done a great job, a lot of the heavy lifting has been done just by the pure ignorance and stupidity of regulatory government bodies that just don't understand jack shit about video games. But... Still, credit where credit's due, PlayStation's done a very good job of fighting back with very little compared to what Microsoft has, which is just all the money and lawyers in the world. Not to say Sony doesn't have great lawyers. I'm sure they have insanely great lawyers. But nonetheless, of of all the great arguments PlayStation's made, of all the great plays they've done to try and derail this deal, this one is in the category of sad and pathetic. Not, not even remotely something that anyone would buy for a single second. It's just there's... I'm sorry, man. Even me, you know, someone who is so so insanely suspicious of and, and just despises the corporations as such a, a typical bullshit little liberal punk rock asshole who's like, fuck the corporations, uh, give the people health care and don't let people die alone in the streets. Like, even me being that way, even I look at this, I'm like, nah, fuck it, dude. I trust this corporation through and through. They're going to put Call of Duty on PlayStation and it's going to fucking, it's going to run like a well-oiled machine. Don't even tell me for a second that they would, they, they would do something like this. That makes no sense. Why would they solely their own brand? Like if my, if Microsoft successfully buys Activision, Call of Duty will be the biggest Xbox first party game, period. Why would they, why would they do that? Why, why would they sacrifice the quality and, and integrity of their own brand like that? You're so dumb, dude. You're so dumb. You're so dumb for thinking we're so dumb that we're going to believe that. But you know what? Wouldn't be surprised if the CMA and the EU were like, ooh, that's a fair point it is. It is. I need some blood pudding, eh? So it's possible. It's possible that works. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um... All right, last part of this, and this one, this one's especially interesting because it's about Game Pass. It's not about Call of Duty. It's not about PlayStation. It's just about Game Pass, although it is a little bit about Call of Duty, but it's about Game Pass mostly. And this is the last part of this Activision thing we have to talk about. So from VGC, Microsoft has sought out to dismiss suggestions that they could raise the price of Game Pass should its $69 billion merger with Activision be approved. Issuing provisional findings of the proposed deal, the UK Regulatory and Competition Markets Authority raised concerns Microsoft could choose to increase the pass of Game Pass following plans uh, or following the addition of the popular Activision uh, library, including Call of Duty. Quote, prices for subscriptions can easily be revised and Microsoft may have an incentive to do so once they add popular games like Call of Duty to their service. However, in a newly published response to the CMA's findings, Microsoft says, you dumb bitch. No, uh, they said that they don't plan to raise Game Pass prices due to the deal going through, and they claim that doing so would be counterproductive because it would lead to a drop in subscribers. Quote, Game Pass will not increase as a result of the merger and certainly will not increase to a point that offsets the substantial benefits of Activision titles coming to Game Pass on a day-and-date basis. This is especially so given Game Pass will continue to be constrained by B2P, buy-to-play. Microsoft went on to point out that they did not increase Game Pass's price uh, following the acquisition of Bethesda and and gaining all that content to their service following the acquisition of Zenimax, I should say, uh, which saw them take ownership of franchises like Elder Scrolls, Fallout, Doom, and Dishonored. Quote, the integration of Activision Microsoft will result in classic elimination of double marginalization effects because Microsoft will be able to acquire these games at opportunity costs and will have the incentives to distribute them more broadly and increase the output of Game Pass relative to its counterfactual level. 
course. Uh, of course, I could have said that, duh. Uh, in order to in increase output, Microsoft will need to offer Game Pass at a lower quality adjusted price. This is exactly what Microsoft has done when it's added content from to Game Pass from ZeniMax titles, resulting in additional content, but no increase in the price. This is especially so given that Game Pass users are price sensitive and have an, an increase in the price of Game Pass would actually affect all users, including those that do not value or even play Call of Duty. Good point. Call of Duty, uh, or sorry, Game Pass subscribers can cancel after any month of play, Microsoft continued. As Call of Duty titles are only released once a year, any impact would be short-lived as gamers who exhaust their enthusiasm for the new version of COD within a few months will churn because of the higher price. As such, any price increase would be counterproductive as it would increase subscriber churn rates and entirely this is at odds with the provisional findings assessments of Microsoft's rationale for the merger. So, Microsoft had a really, really savvy and, and, and good response here, and I only half buy it. We're going back to the Jesse that's that's suspicious of the corporations because I only half am on am, am in agreement and believe what Microsoft is saying here because I do agree. It would be insanely short-sighted and stupid if Microsoft got the deal with Activision improved, approved, and then let's say like a month after it's approved, they're like, uh, we're going to be putting every Call of Duty ever made in Game Pass starting today. And it's like, whoa, that's really cool. And then a month later, Activision's like, by the way, Game Pass Ultimate's now 20 bucks a month and regular Game Pass is 15 bucks a month. Suck it, losers. The thing is, they could do that, sure. And would it be justified? Technically, yes. But I don't think they would do that. Because the thing is, first of all, Game Pass's growth last year was underwhelming. Microsoft was not pleased with it. It definitely did not meet their, their internal expectations, although the service is growing. The point of these subscription services is to grow it so exponentially to the point where it reaches this subscriber count of like too big to fail. That's kind of like the the goal for like your Netflix and your and your Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of where game kind of where Game Pass is at, where or they're in the earlier stages of that rather, where they can't just raise the price on Game Pass because even though they're adding so many more games at such a higher quality with Bethesda and potentially Activision, the fact of the matter is the amount of subscribers in general to Game Pass is so far short of where it needs to be for Game Pass to be this absolute juggernaut ubiquitous thing where it's just like everyone I know is subscribed to Game Pass. Think about it like this. How many people do you know that are subscribed to Spotify or Netflix? Probably like 90 to 95% of the people you know. How many people in your in your immediate vicinity are subscribed to Game Pass? Probably not that many people. You know, depending on how much of a gamer you are and how many gamer type people are in your life, probably not many, probably like one or two people. So the thing is, Game Pass is super, super small in its penetration of the market by comparison. And so it's not at the point yet where they can up the price of the service and you just have to suck it up and deal with it because it's still in its early growth phases. So even though it's going to exponentially increase the operating cost of Game Pass, Microsoft has not earned and reached the point yet where they can bump the price. Now, do I think Microsoft will change the price of Game Pass and up it in the future? I think 2,000.9 trillion percent, that is uh, no doubt the intention for them down the road. I just think we're not there yet. And if this Activision deal were to be approved this summer and the deal was finalized by the fall time, I just don't think we would be at a point yet where they feel comfortable bumping the price again nobody nobody drops their netflix subscription when it goes from seven dollars to nine dollars and then nine dollars to twelve dollars because 
Everyone has Netflix and we're all kind of stuck with it and we're all kind of addicted to it. It is what it is, right? Although Netflix is hemorrhaging users now, but for different reasons. However, Game Pass is not that service. Game Pass is like, oh, Game Pass is great. You get a great catalog of old games. And um, sometimes Xbox has a new game for you to play. You know, sometimes, you know, we got Hi-Fi Rush. Uh, we got Halo a couple years ago. We keep hearing about Starfield. It's just not out yet. Um, you know, so for them to up the price just because now they have Call of Duty. Now, Call of Duty is a huge one, but it's just one more game. And that's a fair point, Microsoft. And that's really going to work to their benefit is that line where they're like, hey, not everyone's a Call of Duty fan. Just because you put Call of Duty in Game Pass doesn't mean 100% of Game Pass subscribers suddenly see more value. Because if they don't like Call of Duty, Call of Duty being part of Game Pass doesn't mean anything to them. And that's a very fair point. That's That'd be like Netflix being like, oh, yay, we uh, we had a massive success when we created the show Stranger Things. And because of that, we can raise the price of Netflix to $20 a month because everyone loves Stranger Things. It's like, well, what about people that don't love Stranger Things? To them, the service is no better or worse than it was before, and now you're just jacking up the price. You just you can't do it. It's It's got to be a shit ton of content over a long period of time in in the face of a massive ubiquitous install base and that just is not what game pass is yet it has has it made progress towards that yes is the goal obviously to get there no doubt but i just don't think even with activision we would be in that position yet so that's that's where i stand on it um the the fear is not unwarranted and not unjustifiable i think it's actually quite rational to have that that concern but I just think we're we're a ways off from it from us getting there. So that's my thought on that at least. But with that, we're out of the Activision woods, guys. We're back into other game realities. We can talk all about what else you want. What, guys, what else do you want to talk about in the games industry? There's just so much to go through. I mean, there's projects getting delayed all the time. There's projects getting canceled. There's developer layoffs. There's, um, you know, just what, what do you want to talk about? Oh, what woman has been, you know what, I'm recording on Women's uh, uh, International Women's Day. Um, let's find out which women have been harassed in the games industry today. I'm sure that's a wonderful story on Kotaku about that, just, just, just that topic. No, thankfully not that. But we do have a story on the, uh, on the matter of game cancellations, because why not? So this one actually kind of hits home a little bit because I, I kind of want to play these games. But VGC reports via Nintendo Life reporting. So this original reporting from Nintendo Life, credit where credit's due. But I'm reading VGC's report because I don't like using Nintendo Life because there are certain people that work there that I despise. So I generally don't browse that website. But obviously, we got to give credit to the proper source. So Nintendo Life got the scoop. Shout out to them. As the story goes from VGC, though, who've relayed it and added a little bit. Several LEGO game projects have reportedly been quietly canceled at developer TT Games, according to a new report. Nintendo Life claims the project included LEGO Guardians of the Galaxy, a LEGO Disney title, as well as a mobile port of LEGO Worlds. A non-LEGO shooter featuring Warner Bros. characters like Rick and Morty in the DC universe of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman has also been canceled. It's been claimed. What the fuck? What is a, a shooter of Rick and Morty and Wonder Woman? Please tell me what the fuck that looks like. Anyway. VGC has reached out to Warner Bros. for comment on the report, and according to the publication, Project Marley, as it was called, uh, is, was one of the canceled games. It was set to feature characters from Disney's biggest animated properties, including Frozen, The Muppets, Toy Story, Winnie the Pooh, Nightmare Before Christmas, and more. The game would have seen players explore a Diablo-like dungeon-crawling experience, according to the report. Uh, pause. 
I am weeping inside. I want that game so bad. All right, continue. The report also claims that following the release of Gameloft's Disney Dreamlight Valley last year, the project lost direction and was canceled after four years of work. That's insane. That's sad. That's so sad. Uh, the Lego Guardians of the Galaxy project was uh, was codenamed Project Cosmic. It said to ha- it was said to have a traditional Lego title style of previous Lego superhero games, but would have featured the Guardians of the Galaxy. The game was allegedly set to feature Nova and Adam Warlock, both of whom are set to appear in the next Guardians of the Galaxy film. Suggesting that the game could have served as a tie-in, it was reportedly canceled after 18 months of development. Lastly, VGC reports that last year or as it reminds that last year, the Lego group was set to announce a partnership with publishers outside of Traveler Tale or TT Games uh, for console for console games for the first time in many years, including several Lego sports titles from 2K. So we're still waiting to see about that. Hopefully, or possibly that is actually still coming. We just haven't got an official announcement. But yeah, looks like WB might license out the Lego license to other developers to make other licensed products with the Lego license. So, for example, Lego NBA 2K. Okay. Now, um, I mean, listen, pro- canceled projects, I don't know. There's not much explaining why things got canceled for the most part with the exception of uh, Dreamlight Valley and how popular that game was last year kind of helped put a nail in the coffin of this Project Marley because it seems like the game probably wasn't coming together that well. And it was like, ah, damn, there's this other big... Disney game that just came out, so I, I guess it's just too much competition for something that's not really panning out, but oh boy, Project Marley, I want this fucking game. A dungeon crawler, but it's like a Disney crossover. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. I don't even know what you would fight. It can be like Kingdom Hearts style, like heartless characters, but you can like pick your freaking dungeon crawling team of like, I want Winnie the Pooh with Buzz Lightyear and freaking uh, Kronk from Emperor's New Groove and you get together and you get Fozzie Bear in there and you fucking do the dungeon crawling and you get the health packs and you and you loot and you shoot and you grind and it's just, I want that. I think that so, sounds so fun. Remember, most of you probably don't remember, but remember, Disney Infinity had a toy box that was a Diablo-like dungeon crawler and it was freaking awesome awesome it was so good you could use any disney infinity character in it and it was just that every dungeon was like every level was like a different dungeon from a different disney universe um the pirates one was especially excellent and it was so cool you could be freaking anakin skywalker or joy from inside out or dory from finding nemo whatever the hell your heart desires mulan whatever pop in there and you do your dungeon crawling experience a more full-fledged dungeon crawler like traditional dungeon crawler style game from the ground up uh built around disney characters would have been so freaking fun uh, even if it is Lego Disney, I don't care. I want it. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy one, a little less disappointing just because I find the typical Lego formula to be a little a little boring at this point. I feel like if you played one, you played them all for the most part. And um, I don't know, even, it would have been cool, don't get me wrong, but Lego Guardians of the Galaxy, eh. Maybe they saw how the Guardians of the Galaxy game um, from Square Enix uh, did and they were like um maybe not i wonder if that had anything to do with it to be quite honest so we could attribute that for the guardians of the galaxy game being canceled we can attribute dreamlight valley for the reason why this project marley was canceled this dungeon crawler um and then as for the dc batman superman rick and morty shooter game that was not lego but was in development at warner bros by one of the teams what the hell was that game i'm just I'm just dying. You're going to put a gun in Superman's hands? Like, is that really something you were going to do? Like, what the hell is that, you know? So, 
It, it sucks because we, we knew there was some turbulence at WB for a while. They were looking at selling off all their gaming assets and, and trying to divest from gaming to help leverage some debt they're, they're, they've taken on. And uh, it seems like there's been some trouble with some of their studios. You look at like, you look at like WB Montreal and and um, you look at Rocksteady and how long it's taken them to make their most recent games. And it's like there's some issue with development there. And you look at that Lego Star Wars game that TT Games made that came out last year and just how long it took for them to get that game across the finish line. It just seems like there's been some development issues at some of their teams. But I think with how much money all these Batman games are making that are finally hitting the, the shelves. And then, of course, you know, the elephant in the room, Hogwarts Legacy and what a, just an absolute behemoth it's been. Uh, sales juggernaut, uh, no doubt, probably poised to be game of the year contender. I, I think there's just no denying the fact that WB's got to be looking at this saying, no, we can't, we can't get out of gaming. There's just too much money. We just got to get better and better at managing our teams and, and how we're going to get these games out because... I mean, Mortal Kombat, Hogwarts Legacy. No, we we got to keep with this stuff. So that's my that's the only kind of analysis I can offer on that. But man, my heart aches for that Disney dungeon crawler. I would have taken that shit over Diablo Four any day. I don't care what that says about me. It's just what I would have liked. But last story of the week, guys. Let's wrap up with the uh, Xbox Wire sharing some more games coming to Game Pass and leaving Game Pass as well. So available now, uh, Guilty Gear Strive is on cloud console and PC. I actually really want to play this. Guilty Gear Strive is apparently a really good competitive uh, fighter game. Uh, I just really adore the art style of this game, so I've always wanted to give it a try. Maybe I'll do just that. Uh, but coming soon on March 9th, the day, the day this podcast goes live, Dead Space 2 and 3 will come to cloud gaming through EA Play. Uh, Valheim will come as a cloud preview, as a console game and, cloud, and game preview, sorry, on March 14th. So that game will finally be on Game Pass. And then Sid Meier's Civilization uh, 6 will come to cloud console and PC on March 16th. Lastly, Nino Kune 2 Revenant Kingdom will come uh, to Game Pass on March 21st, console and PC. Not only that, but the following games are leaving Game Pass on March 15th, so make sure you download them now or buy them while they're at a discount before they're gone from the service forever. F1 2020 is leaving console via EA Play. Goat Simulator is leaving cloud console and PC as well as Kentucky Route Zero. Apparently a great game. Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy is leaving cloud console and PC. Hey, we just talked about that. Paradise Killers leaving cloud console and PC as well as Undertale, Young Souls, and Zero Escape, the, nor- the Nonary Games. Yeah, I mean, Undertale, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, Kentucky Route Zero, Goat Simulator. Those are some pretty notable games. So remember, they're all at a discount between now and when they leave the service. And then also you can just play them now uh, for the next week or so before they're all gone. And that way you can kind of play them without having to buy them, if so to speak. So make sure to do so if you're interested. But guys, that is it for all of our news this week. Now, let's round out the podcast with our important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant our own discussions. Well, not rounding it out because we round out with the comments. So we're wrapping up news with that. So we got a few of these real quick. Windows Central reports that Redfall will have crossplay between Xbox and PC. And crossplay will support Xbox players on console, PC Game Pass players, as well as PC players on Steam and Epic Games. So, important to know. Uh, VGC relays that release dates for Hogwarts Legacy on Xbox One have been delayed again. The game was supposed to come out in April, but will now arrive in May, Warner Bros. said this past Monday. Next up, Fortnite. It's getting a first-person mode likely in the next season, according to regular Fortnite leaker HypeX on Twitter, who claims that the mode will be introduced during the next season of content, although how it will be introduced is not yet known. 
Uh, next up, an Xbox version of Neon White has been rated by the SRB. As spotted by Twisted Voxel, the game's rating page was updated uh, to list Xbox One, Series X, and S alongside already existing PS4 and 5 versions of the game. The Switch and PC version of the game... Um, Already, already got the game, rather, PC and Switch did, and have a separate ratings page. The critically acclaimed game, which was published by Annapurna at Interactive, the guys who did What Remains of Edith Finch, uh, was released on PC and Switch last June before coming to PS4 and 5 in December. I really want to play this game, so I hope this is true. I hope against all odds. I hope it's a Game Pass game because I would love to give this one a go. Uh, sad one here, <laughs> I guess. Sad, funny, however you want to put it. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog creator Yuji Naka has admitted he's guilty to taking part of insider trading, the scheme at Square Enix that he was uh, arrested for. <laughs> As reported by NHK, Naka has been standing trial in the Tokyo District Court, and when presented with his charge, he admitted that there was no doubt that he had done what he was accused of. He was charged with violating Japan's Financial Instrument of Exchange Act by illegally buying shares based on insider info. Next up, a new trailer has been released for CFT's Voyage of a Lifetime, a documentary celebrating the game on its fifth anniversary. Uh, so you can check that out on Xbox Wire. There's a whole trailer for it. And lastly, Microsoft has officially announced a new color scheme for Xbox controllers. Uh, confirming a previous leak, the Velocity Green Wireless Controller supports Xbox's signature green color and is available now for $65 US. Joins the existing lineup of colorful controllers with the white background for no reason, the white the white backside, colorful front end, um, like the shock blue, pulse red, deep pink, and electric volt. Shout out to electric volt. I love that color. Um, but yeah, this one, I don't know, it looks like kind of like a pastel Eastery green, but they're calling it the Xbox green. I don't know, whatever. Teach their own. This one doesn't do it for me, but it's cool. Another option. Great for people. That is it for all of our news this week. You guys, now we round down. Pour yourself a glass of wine, light a candle, mood lighting, smooth jazz, anyone? And uh, let's get into the comments, shout outs, whatnot, questions. Go over to YouTube.com. You know how it works. You click on Xbox on Podcast at Xbox on Podcast, where we now have over a 1,000 subscribers. Thanks to all of you for making that possible. And you leave a comment. You say whatever the hell you want. I don't give a shit if you have a question about Xbox, if you want to comment on something we talked about on the show, if you want to mention something we left out but should have brought up on the show. I don't care if you want to tell me that my armpits smell like shit, even though... It's an audio-only podcast, so you can only hear the way my armpits smell. How the hell are you smelling what they smell like? That makes no sense to me. But if if you want to comment such a such a such a piece of writing, feel free to do so. Maybe one day when the EMPs go off and we all die, uh, somehow they'll excavate and pull up this episode of the podcast and they'll see your comment about my armpits and they'll say this must have been uh, some some. Uh, entertaining relic of a previous civilization and it'll end up in a museum somewhere in the world one day. I don't know. Unfortunately, we didn't get anything that deep or that out of whack. So we do have five comments to get through this week and uh, lots of Starfield, uh, Hogwarts Legacy, Halo, and uh, just kind words all around. So let's get into all this. Starting with Cody Pavon who says Starfield release dates uh, were announced today and the showcase is in early June next to Hogwarts. I expect it to be one of my favorite, my personal game of the years. Uh, what is your overall hype level for the release? Are you as excited for it as you were Atomic Heart before it dropped? And since no one has really ever says it back to you, hope you're having a great week yourself, Jesse. P.S. Shout out to the Toyota Corolla. Okay, Cody, 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 Cody. Wait, hang on a second. Starfield release. Hogwarts Legacy expected to be one of my, first of all, Thank you. 
And I'm glad you're enjoying Hogwarts, and I think a lot of people will say Hogwarts is going to be their game of the year. I think Hogwarts is, as of right now, is a shoe-in for game of the year, although there's some games. Starfield, Spider-Man 2, there's some other games that might, you know, might contend with that. But for now, I wouldn't be surprised if Hogwarts Legacy is game of the year. Now, when you say what is your overall level of hype for the release, are you as excited for it as you were for Atomic Heart? Are you talking about Starfield or Hogwarts Legacy? Because we all know Hogwarts is obviously out already. So I assume you're talking about Starfield. My level of hype for Starfield is it's not that high at all. I'm incredibly curious to play it because we've known about it for so long. It's the next big game from Bethesda. I'm really excited to see what Bethesda, in in a world where Starfield was developed stem to stern, in this post-Witcher 3, Horizon Zero Dawn, Zelda Breath of the Wild kind of era of these other big open-world, single-player, story-driven, Western RPG-style games. Although, I guess Zelda's not... Zelda's like a Japanese adventure game with a lot of Western RPG influence. I don't know. Whatever you want to put. In a world where the open-world genre has so drastically evolved, Elden Ring, you know, all these games have come out since the heyday of Skyrim and have really shaken up player expectations. I'm really curious to see what Bethesda can do to top what they've done before, uh, adapt to and adopt some of the best things that some of these modern open world games have done, as well as inject some of that authentic and unique Bethesda charm that only games like Elder Scrolls and Fallout traditionally have and see how that plays out in a very modern game. I also think this is probably going to be the best feeling in terms of controls, best looking, least buggy Bethesda game we've ever seen. That's my expectation. Um, so I'm curious to see what it feels like to play first person shooting segments in Starfield and have it feel kind of good compared to like, I don't know, like Fallout, which has you know, Fallout's a cool game, but the shooting's not particularly great in that game. So I'm really curious about all these aspects. I also love space sci-fi. Like my my all-time favorite setting for anything has to do with I, I don't hmm. I like anything with space. I don't care. I love space. I love sci-fi. I love rocket ships, planets, aliens, cool spacemen, guns, armor, all that shit. I'm obsessed with it. I love Halo. I love Buzz Lightyear. I love anything Epcot does with space. My favorite ride of all time is Space Mountain. I'll watch any fucking movie that has to do with space. But when it comes to space, I really love like super slick, high-tech, clean, futuristic sci-fi, you know? Um, a lot more than like grounded realistic and or like a western like rustic beat up kind of sci-fi thing so that's why you know star like star wars is an example like star wars is half and half sometimes star wars is like super like chrome and sleek and future and cool i'm like nice star wars is cool star wars is cool and then a lot of times star wars is like disgusting decrepit shitty deserty sadness and i'm like oh, i hate this i can't stand looking at this um you know like Starfield has a little bit of that where it's kind of grounded. Not not to say Star Wars is grounded. There's no chance in hell Star Wars is grounded. But Starfield has a lot of that grounded thing. It's like tries to do that like um, kitschy, like kind of like Americana 1950s thing, almost like Fallout does a little bit. And then it tries to do like a grounded version of like the American space program, but like in a distant future somehow with 
exploring planets. It's like, I don't, uh, I just don't like that, like, low tech kind of a little, like, rough and tumbly, like, uh, old Americana twist on space travel. Like, I want it to look like fucking, you know, the opening scene of Toy Story 2 where Rex is playing the video game. And it's like Buzz Lightyear is like flying through space and he's shooting space robots. And he's like in the chrome, like freaking underground layer and he fights Zerg and all that shit. I know it's like, it's a kid's movie. It's not like real cool space sci-fi, but you know the aesthetic that that evokes? That's what I want in space. I want like, I want like vibrant, saturated and neon color everywhere. I want like dark, deep space. I want like chrome futuristic ships and, and weaponry and suits. And I want like just crazy shit. And Starfield, um, not to a fault because it's just going for a different aesthetic, is none of that. So it just doesn't do it for me as much, <laughs> which is why I'm just so much more likely to be like, yeah, Halo or like, yeah, um, Destiny, because that stuff caters to my space sci-fi aesthetic and preference so much more. Um, but I don't even know why I'm going on at this point. I don't know. I, I just don't have a significantly big full fleshed out history of just being a huge Bethesda fan. Um, it's only been in recent history that I've really fallen in love with Skyrim and finally given them a fair shake with the, some of their games. Um, I'd love to go back and play some of the other fallout games, although I've struggled with three and four on multiple occasions trying to get through those games. I like them. I just don't, I just don't adore them, but yeah, I mean, I, my, my expect my, my hype level for Starfield is like, I'm definitely going to play it when it comes out. I will play it day one. I will download it through Game Pass. I will give it the old college try. I fully expect I'll enjoy it and probably play it through to completion and have a good time with it. But as of right now, my expectation for Starfield is it's probably going to be a pretty damn good game and I'm looking forward to playing it. But yeah, I'm not... I, I, I just got to be honest. You know, I know there are people who are diehard Bethesda fans. I know there are people who suddenly have become diehard Bethesda fans because they're diehard Xbox fans. And now they got to bleed for team green. Uh, you know, for, I don't care, like be whoever you want to be fall, however you may with your preferences. But to me, Starfield, um, it just, it has a lot to prove and there's a lot I'm curious to see. Um, but I'm not like, it doesn't have my hype through the roof. Um, yeah, like like you kind of mentioned, and like I've mentioned, um, my my big hype game of this year was Atomic Heart, and uh, game was a little bit of a letdown in a lot of ways, but it was also incredibly satisfying and gave me just what I was looking for in a lot of other ways. So that I already considered to be my big game of the year. You know, what game I'm dying to play this year that I don't know how I'm going to play it because I don't own a PS5 is uh, Spider Man Two. That's probably the game that's coming out this year, aside from Redfall, because, of course, I'm looking forward to Redfall. But uh, that's probably the big game coming out later this year that I'm like, damn, how am I going to play Spider-Man 2? Because I don't think it will be on PS4, and I don't own a PS5, and it probably won't come to PC until, like, 12 months after it comes out on PS5. So that's probably the game this year. I'm really just like, ooh, how do I get my hands on that? But, uh, yeah, shout out to the Toyota Corolla. I love... I love everyman cars. Those are my favorite vehicles. I like Japanese, small engine, not too big of a vehicle, fun to modify, fun to play around with, but also completely unassuming and boring regular car kind of vehicles. Toyota Corolla has always embodied that well. Um, I kind of hate Toyota Corolla since I moved to Florida because it's the official vehicle of people who drive way too fucking slow, but also I like the Toyota Corolla. Shout out to Toyota Corolla. I don't know why we're shouting it out, but... Rest in peace. Uh, you're not dead. You're one of the best-selling cars on the market, but rest in peace. Next up, Headhunting Halo writes in and says, Season 3 of Halo, and man, does it look good. I um, I really doubt Activision deal will be getting shut down. 
Uh, I really want to play Hogwarts, but these battle passes just take so much of my time. And also, congrats over on the 1K subs on YouTube. Come meet me at the castle. I baked a cake for you. Peach. Uh, nice little Mario 64 reference. Cute. Love it. Headhunting Halo. Uh, but I'm not jumping through whatever it is, 15 different worlds and fighting Bowser three times just to save you because, quite frankly, Headhunting Halo, I love you, but I don't love you like that. Uh, that being said, thank you for writing in. Hope you're having a wonderful week, sir. And, uh, dude, I'm, I am right there with you. I'm struggling these days. I, I feel so much with what you're saying here. It's like Hi-Fi Rush. What a great game. I love it when I'm playing it. Hogwarts Legacy. What a cool game. I really want to see more of that world. I really want to play more of that game. But every time I sit down on my Xbox, I'm like, okay, we're going to make progress on a single player game. I'm going to feel good about this. Uh, I end up getting distracted by like Modern Warfare Halo Infinite, Destiny, Crossfire X, whatever, so on and so forth. I'm like, God dang it, dude. And like, I enjoy it in the moment. You know, I love, I love putting on a good podcast, zoning out and playing two, three hours of Modern Warfare and just be like, yeah, this is good. But then you, you finish like, shit, I didn't make any progress on like any meaningful new game. Uh, it, it's a conundrum, dude. These battle passes got us hooked by the balls. These live service games. I'm telling you, there's good and bad because of Destiny. That's where we are these days. All right, next up, ERNC05, Ernsoki. I don't know. I'm going to make up a name for you one day. Thank you for writing in. It's been a while. It's good to see you, man. You said, congratulations on 1K subs. I remember when I got my first 1,000 subs. That's when the haters came. Keep pushing on the road to 100,000. Bro, first of all, thank you for the congratulations, and I appreciate the comment. Good to see you. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever get to 100,000. I I was pretty confident that if I stuck to this and did it, Every single week for a long time, I'd hit a thousand because I, I don't know. I feel like you got to be really, really bad at what you do if you can't hit a thousand subscribers through consistent output of content and hard work. But hundred thousand—that's kind of in the category of like you just got to be good. You got to be someone people want to go out of their way for. And uh, I appreciate all you for writing in, but I don't—I don't know that Xbox on ever is ever going to have a hundred thousand listeners or subscribers. Um, or, or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm grateful for what I got. Just a thousand. Just to finally have a YouTube account where the number is followed by the K instead of just by numbers is a, is all I've ever asked for, man. It's cool. I feel cool. I go around. I have a screenshot of my 1,000 subscriber count and just everyone I know, whenever I see them, I'm like, boom, I show my phone in their face and show them 1,000 subscribers. I'm like, I'm so humble. Fuck you. And it's, uh, it's a great feeling. But yeah, shout out to the haters. Shout out to Darth Vader. And shout out to Ralph Nader. Compassionate Choice LLC writes in next and says, "Hey podcast family, uh, or you know, you said hey pod fam. I don't want to, I don't want to mince your words. Hogwarts is my game of the year so far. I think it's lame. WB is trend chasing and announcing Hogwarts show before the DLC for the game is actually out and doing well. Tell us all about your little weekend at Disney, Jesse. Also, Scorch and Pringles flavors are so good. Okay, a couple things here." Again, another person loving Hogwarts Legacy. Love to see it. Good good for you, man. Oh, you also said there's a there's a little uh, PS, an asterisk here. Also, I just watched the new South Park episode about Hogwarts Legacy. You know it's good when South Park is doing it uh, or, or when they put it in South Park. Listen, Compassion Choice, I, I haven't seen South Park in like a year or so, so I'm a little bit behind. I did not know they did a Hogwarts Legacy episode of South Park, but I am so excited to watch this now because... South Park is one of those few shows where it's like just it's consistently so good. It's it just never stopped being fun. Um, so I'm very excited to watch that. Thank you for putting that um, putting that on my radar. I will definitely have to watch that. And yes, you're right. Whenever South Park takes on some some social commentary or whatever, they almost always knock it out of the park. It's very very good time. 
So that's that's something to look forward to. Uh, but yeah, I, it, a lot of people, ga- Game of the Year, Hogwarts Legacy. Man, I see it. I see it for a lot of people, man. Again, Spider-Man, Starfield, a couple games coming later this year. I don't know. I don't know for sure. Remember, Dead Space Remake was also pretty good, a lot of people said. 2023 is a packed year. There's a lot of good stuff coming. So I just there's a lot of opportunity, I think, over the next... Uh, what is it, nine, ten months left of the year or whatever, nine months left of the year for people to get distracted from Hogwarts Legacy. Just because remember, you know it is, come November, December, you're not thinking about the games you played in January, February. You're thinking about the games you played in September, October, November, December. So there's always that recency bias come game of the year time where people just kind of forget about the early part of the year. Although Hogwarts Legacy is probably going to stand out among everything from this earlier half of the year so for sure. Also, I didn't know there's a Scorch and Pringles flavor. I had to try that. I've never had it. I usually go for uh, sour cream and cheddar. Uh, no, sorry, sour cream and onion or ranch. Those are the best Pringles in my opinion. Classic Pringles are also fucking great. Uh, yeah. So thanks for writing in, man. Oh, you said tell us about your little weekend at Disney, uh, dude. If, if you must know, everyone turns off the podcast at this point. Yeah, man. So Tron Light Cycle Run finally. Well, it's not open at Magic Kingdom yet, but. Tron Light Cycle Run. It's a new roller coaster at Walt Disney World. It's been under construction for like a million years because Disney's dragged their feet on building this thing. But don't care. It's finally here. It's finally open uh, or just about to be open. Um, It is, I mean, dude, it's a roller coaster themed to Tron. What more do I need to say? Like, I mean, theme parks, roller coasters, my favorite shit in the world. Plus Tron. Tron is my all-time favorite live-action Disney movie. It's It's my favorite, like, fucking weird... 80s old sci-fi whatever movie i just i love tron so much i've been my my love for tron has nothing to do with my love for disney it is completely coincidental that disney happens to be the ones who made tron i love tron it is so goofy it's so campy it's so stupid and it is so fucking awesome and then in 2010 when they made tron legacy the sequel that i think most people are probably familiar with they took Tron as something that was like super visually impressive and really cool, but kind of goofy and stupid and wacky. And they made it something that was even more awesome. Just something that is so beautiful. I, I do in this world, there are very few things I would look at and say, I could, I could just stare at this for the rest of eternity and I would be the happiest man in the world. It's just so jaw droppingly beautiful. And Tron legacy is one of those very few things where the aesthetic of that world. Oh my God. I, dude, I, is it the best movie of all time? Hell no. Like, especially the opening 20 minutes of the movie. It's super goofy. Some of the acting's a little lame. Some of the, the writing's a little corny. I don't care. I fucking love Tron Legacy. The aesthetic of that world is so freaking beautiful. I, I, every electronic device I have, I make my background picture something Tron related. Every, I just, I watched Tron Legacy is one of those movies I'm always playing in the background. Uh, also, the TV show Tron um, Tron Uprising, which is excellent. I freaking love Tron so, so much. So, needless to say, when Disney finally announced, hey, we're building an entire roller coaster themed to and dedicated to Tron, uh, just, oh my God, so excited. <laughs> so, so excited. It's one of those, it's one of those like, you never expected Disney to do it because Disney obviously, you know, Encanto and Frozen and Star Wars and Marvel and like all this, this shit that Marvel, that Disney owns that's so, so popular that, you know, some of it's varying degrees of good. I don't mean to hate on it. There's good Star Wars out there. I love Marvel personally. I think Frozen's a pretty decent movie. Um, Encanto is entirely fine and absurdly overrated in my opinion, but completely fine and people love it. It makes them happy. So that's great. But like, 
Tron, dude. Like Tron is like my, my Disney thing that like Disney doesn't care about. It doesn't make them a lot of money. It's not remembered all that well, although I think there's kind of a retroactive appreciation for it, which I'm grateful for. And uh, just the fact that for some reason they decided to build an attraction theme to Tron, it's befuddling to me. It's shocking to me. But I'm so grateful that they did it. So um, it's not open yet. It opens in April, but it is at the testing phase. So usually what Disney does around this time, we're about a month out from a new ride opening, is they'll have these preview dates where um, people who work at the parks can come on certain days and ride the ride early. Um, in, my ca- in my case, I'm an annual pass holder. So they have like special annual pass holder dates where people who have passes to the park come ride the ride a little early. So I was lucky enough that I got into the annual pass preview date. And so we got to ride Tron a full month early uh, before it opens. And uh, I wanted to make like a whole special thing about it. Cause like, to me, I'm like, I want it to be like old times before I lived in Florida. I want to, I'm going to book a hotel for the night. We're going to stay at Disney world. We're going to live in the little bubble, pretend we're on vacation and we're going to ride Tron. It's going to be amazing. And uh, so, so we did that. We made a little weekend out of it and it was phenomenal. It was freaking awesome. And uh, gotta say people complaining the Tron ride. It's a little short. They complain about certain elements here and there. I I get it. The ride is a little short. It's a little disappointingly short for sure. No doubt about it. But the theming, the atmosphere, the environment of that of that ride, phenomenal. The ride, the the line, super cool. The on ride experience, phenomenal. You're leaning forward on your bike. It's like you're riding a light cycle from Tron. It's fucking awesome. It's like riding a motorcycle and a roller coaster at the same time. We sat front row. Dude, you launch out that fucking show building 60 miles an hour and you're leaned over like you're on a fucking Kawasaki motorcycle. It's insane. And you just launch out that fucking building, the wind just shoving itself in your face as you're like leaned forward in a really um, unflattering position. And uh, it's so fucking cool. Best part of Tron Legacy, aside from its aesthetic, its soundtrack, Daft Punk, one of the great musical uh, acts of all time. They did an amazing job with the score for that movie, Tron Legacy, and they carry over a lot of that music and use it on the ride. Dude, leaning forward on a roller coaster like you're on a motorcycle, blasting at 60 miles an hour in the dark with Daft Punk. Well, you're not at 60 miles an hour. 60 mile an hour launch when you're in the dark ride part in the building. You're going much slower. You're probably going like 40 miles an hour. But anyway, it feels fast as shit when you're in there and just having Daft Punk music blasting your fucking face while you're on a Tron ride is the most incredible thing in the world. So shout out to Tron, one of the most underrated sci-fi properties of all time. Super fucking cool. Uh, shout out to the Tron Life Cycle Run opening at Disney's Magic Kingdom theme park on April 4th. I know, I know it's a short ride. It's fucking awesome. Personally, the ride could be 35 minutes of Jeff Bridges just spitting on your face and telling you you're a fucking failure and that everyone you've ever loved hates you. And I would still be so ecstatic about this ride because it's Tron. So to me, I don't care. You know, like, could it be better? Yes. Should it be better? Sure. Is it phenomenal? Yes. Is it like better than 99% of rides you'll probably ride at any theme park in the world? Yes, it's Disney. It's all, even the worst Disney rides are usually better than 99% of rides at any theme park you've ever been to. So they did a phenomenal job with it. Uh, I, I love it. I, I had such a great time. I'm so grateful that I live in a world now where there's an entire theme park ride dedicated to Tron. And so, yeah, thanks for asking. TMI, probably. But anyway, let's get into our last comment. 
who, which comes from Mr. Cronky, my brother Cronky, who says, um, Atomic Heart shows the problems with communism. Just like Bioshock is the most scathing anti-capitalist thing I've ever seen. I don't see how a person could walk away from the game with a with that pretty bad take that it is a pro-communist fantasy. But regardless, boycotting a game simply because it's n- the nationality of the developers is kind of bigoted, right? Um, yeah, so I don't want to... And Cronky, I know you don't mean this, so I don't mean to say that you're suggest that you're saying it because I know you're not. Um, I don't want to use this as like kind of a launching point to kind of dog on someone or or slight someone who wrote in a comment in recent weeks about why they don't support Atomic Heart. But I do want to use this comment to kind of double down on and reiterate a point made last week when we talked about Atomic Heart because I agree. I agree completely. Uh, Atomic Heart from a narrative perspective and a thematic perspective is literally just Bioshock. And, and you said yourself when we talked about the game um, the other day playing Call of Duty, it is literally just Bioshock. But instead of Americans making a game heavily criticizing capitalism, it is just Russians making a game heavily criticizing communism. That's what it is. Is it as good as Bioshock? No, but that's not the fucking point. The point is it's the same. It is the same attempt thematically and story-wise to make a commentary on a economic system and a political system that the developers are entrenched in from their perspective, from where they live in the world and the world they were raised into. And it's freaking awesome. Atomic Heart is so cool. In fact, the more and more I see people rag on this game and the more and more I sit with my experience having played it from start to finish, the more I I just want to just champion the hell out of atomic heart is freaking cool it's an awesome game it's rough around the edges the controls aren't great the shooting's kind of shit on controller the main character is kind of annoying it definitely has its issues it's not a perfect game closer to a 7 out of 10 definitely understand if people want to skip it or wait for sale or maybe play it later and not put at the top of their to playlist i totally get it but if you're interested in games like bioshock wolfenstein metro any of these kinds of games and you just write off Atomic Heart because you think it's some pro-communist bullshit, you are robbing yourself of a really, really cool game. Uh, Because absolutely, people need to, desperately, people need to expose themselves to things they hate. You You need to expose yourself to political ideologies that you have been told your entire life are evil, pure evil. You need to expose yourself to political people that you are diametrically opposed to. You need to expose yourself to the other side of things because a lot of times you don't have the full story because a lot of times it gives you it, it gives you the validation of the things you already believe so that you can find a more nuanced approach to defend your beliefs and your arguments. Because a lot of people believe the things they believe based on feeling, but when you understand truly the inner workings of the other side or the other argument, not only do you earn respect for people who believe these things or partake in them, because a lot of times people are just well-intended humans with different perspectives, but also you can either have your mind opened up and change your mind, which is awesome. People people are definitely not growing and developing as humans if they're not changing their minds at some point in time due to new information being presented. But also, if you truly believe what you believe over everything else, learning about everything else will further strengthen your understanding and your nuance as to why your beliefs are so justified and, and moralistically superior and comprehensible. So I, I just don't get this this mentality of like, oh, that's communism? Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh, we're not going to touch it. We're not going to talk about it. It's like, bro, communism is not contagious. You can't catch communism from learning about it. You can just learn. Dude, 
it, it just it drives me nuts. And yes, and yes, to sum it up simply, um, ragging on people for being Russian is insanely bigoted. It's absolutely bigoted. It's the it's the point. It's short and sweet. It's the point I tried to make last week, which is I sure as hell hope, you know. One of the podcast uh, statistic things I use, Chartable, I believe, said that we have people who listen to this podcast in Saudi Arabia. Um, we also have people who listen to this podcast in Russia. Uh, I, I want to make it very clear. I hope and pray that people who listen to this podcast in those parts of the world don't hate me because my government sucks. My government sucks. Don't get me fucking wrong. My government blows chunks. Okay? I hope there aren't people who hate me because my government sucks. And I hope there aren't people in Russia who hate me because I live in a capitalist society. And I hope there aren't people in Russia who hate me because Donald Trump was at one point my president or Joe Biden is currently my president. I don't have control over that shit. Are you kidding me? I hope they don't hate me for that because I can't control that. I hope that the people of Russia don't hate me because my government is raving and ranting about how we can't give college graduates a fucking tiny break of $5,000 relief in debt, which won't even affect working class Americans in their taxes a penny, a, a fucking bit. But when our government wants to steal all of our tax dollars and use it on weapons and missiles and shit to help proxy fight a war in Russia, all of a sudden we have endless funds for that. And no one bats an eye or has a single complaint to be had. You know, I hope people in Russia aren't mad at me because of that, because all of that happens in the background of my country that I'm proud to live in, and I have no control over the situation. And I hope the people in Saudi Arabia don't hate me because I because I'm throwing these stories from from the new the the news of the week where it's like, yeah, Saudi Arabia, the fucking crown prince shithead fuckface is buying up Nintendo and uh, now Nintendo's a worse company because of it. I hope the people of Saudi Arabia don't hate me because I take umbrage with their shit leader because I don't have a problem with them. I don't have a problem with individuals. I'm not going to write people off because of their nationality or because of the, you know, just the fucking place they were born in or, or whatever political ideology that subscribe to or whatever. It's just so stupid to write off groups of people because of that. I, I don't know, man. It's just, it seems, and, and I don't mean that as a slight against anyone who listens to the podcast and left any kind of comment. I mean that as a slight to the conversation and the sentiment as a whole, because that stuff is, it really doesn't sit right with me. Like, I don't know. This is, this is my, this is my grief with, with like the oversimplification, you know, just speaking to my country and in my experience living here in America, the oversimplification of who people are based on whether they're like left leaning or right leaning. It's so fucking silly. Like if you just, if you don't consider these buzzwords and these, these blanket describe all kind of statements that don't even really get to the core of who anyone is and you just meet people. Yeah. You're probably going to disagree with a handful of things with absolutely everyone, but everyone wants what's best for the people around them themselves. And at the very least just want people to kind of fuck off and leave them alone. And for us to be like, Oh, we can't support this team of Russian developers who have some commentary on communism and are making a really excellent game around it. Uh, we can't support them because uh, their terrible piece of shit leader is charging a war in Ukraine. That just that that doesn't make sense. It doesn't sit with me. So I don't know. I appreciate the comment, and I hope I hope people can continue to work on not generalizing and grouping people in. It's I think it's weird as hell. I don't know. I digress. I don't mean to end on like a ranty note, but I mean that's it's Xbox on. What did you expect? So. 
I appreciate the comment. I appreciate everyone supporting. And listen, I, I, I want people to come in this podcast and, and challenge me. I don't mind if someone comes in and says like, hey, Jesse, the podcast last week, it wasn't good. Or hey, Jesse, this take you had, pretty bad take. And here's why. I don't, I encourage the hell out of that, man. I, I, I actually appreciate it. I think it takes courage to be able to just be like, hey, man, honestly, this is what I think of your podcast. Here's my honest to God feedback. I appreciate that. I encourage it. And, uh, I, I, I fucking ask for it, man. I say it facetiously at the top of every comment section. You know, you can write in something nice. You can write in something mean. I, I, I say it half jokingly, but I, I, I also mean it. Like if, you know, don't be a dick. Don't just write in and be like, Jesse, fuck you. You're a piece of shit. And I hate everything you say. It's like, okay, well, nobody asked for that. But man, I encourage people to write in and be like, Jesse, your take on, on the Activision deal is so, so, so whack. And here's why. Or like, Jesse, why do you wear gray boxers at night? Like, that's just so, that's such a terrible color considering your hair. You know, it's like, I don't, I, I don't care. I encourage you to just write in and say what you got to say. But more importantly, I really encourage you more than anything. If I could just ask one thing, write in with your top three chicken, fast food, chicken nuggets, ranking them best to worst. I mean, or no, just your top three favorites is what we did because I really do think Wendy's has a good spicy nugget and just deserves a little more, a little more recognition is all I'm going to say about that. But yeah, I got to go watch the South Park episode on Hogwarts Legacy now. So let's wrap it up, guys. Have a great weekend. Or have a great week and great weekend. I don't know. Take care. Just be safe, guys. Lots of shit happens out there in this world. Just just, just be well. Don't take life for granted. Remember, we listen to Xbox on. We make Xbox on because Xbox is a pastime. It is a hobby. It is an enjoying thing. We just want to have fun and make make the most of this short little bit of time we all have before we die and everything we, we know and love is ripped away from us. So try and make the most of it and eat some fucking chicken nuggets and play some Modern Warfare 2 despite what the gamers tell you. And uh, until next week... Power your dreams.